This is a WCW special report. The attack, as we have come to call it in World Championship Wrestling, took everyone by surprise. I do mean everyone. From the wrestlers to front office staff to production personnel, May the 27th, 1996 was a day we will never forget. It happened on WCW Monday Nitro. You want a war? You're going to get one. You war was in the air, and WCW was all too quick to give an unofficial response. You have any idea where you are? You're in the jungle, baby! This is WCW! However, Hall had been talking to another outsider, the big man, as he called him. A week later, the big man showed up and shocked everyone. This is where the big boys play, huh? We ain't here to play. The measuring stick just changed around here, buddy. You're looking at it. All parties were on hand at the Great American Bash for the official response to World Championship Wrestling. The reaction by these outsiders was beyond belief. You don't jack us around, don't jack Oh, for Whoa! What are they doing? Security! Security. Get up there right now! For, oh, for, oh. Get Somebody security up, up there! WCW had accepted the challenge of the Outsiders for a match at the Bash at the Beach. It would be Lex Luger, Sting, and the Macho Man representing World Championship Wrestling. But who would the Outsiders' third man be? This footage tells the incredible story. Hulk Hogan is here! Hulk Hogan's here! Hulk Hogan is in the building! Yes, sir! Get it, Hogan! Go get him, baby! Hulk Hogan! Is he the third man? He's the third man! I hope you love it. Can you, you just those? sold your soul to the devil. Hulk Hogan has betrayed WCW! You fans can stick it, brother! The New World Order had been formed, and in the following weeks, WCW received numerous messages and repeated attacks. The outsiders are in the back, please! There they are! They got baseball bats! The coward jerks! No! Oh. The Macho Man is on the limousine! All the while, it seemed that maybe the wrestlers in World Championship Wrestling were coming together. Seeing Sting, Ric Flair, and other prominent superstars leaving together in an ambulance was evidence of that fact. That at Hogwild, the MWO reached new heights. Luger and Sting lost to the Outsiders thanks to some questionable actions by referee Nick Patrick. Shortly after, Hollywood Hulk Hogan robbed the giant of the WCW heavyweight title. Hogan then turned on his longtime friend. And then Hogan desecrated the prestigious WCW world title belt. The NWO did not let up. The attacks intensified. Rumors had it, more were joining their organization. WCW finally felt they needed to unify. And the top superstars came to a historic agreement. There's only four people in this ring right now that have ever felt war games. I'll walk a path with the enforcer. With war games looming, the NWO continued its assault, marking WCW property and victims along the way. But the worst was yet to come.
the warning of more. To join, the NWO came through. Ted DiBiase arrived with financial backing and leadership. The balance of power quickly shifted to the NWO as the giant jump ship. No! No! What is going on here? The giant has just shocked the wrestling world. And then the crowning blow. The most shocking turn of events in WCW history. The franchise did the unthinkable. No! No! Oh, we're in bad trouble now. We're in bad trouble. Leave this. Sting has turned. He's been bought off by Tibiasi. Unquestionably, WCW is really. The attack that began in May by one man has now grown into a full-scale assault from all sides. The WCW War Games, a match that has been part of its tradition, now becomes a match of its survival. Welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of Wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, it's my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this fine Sunday evening, Dave? Tim, you know, we've seen a lot of different kinds of matches. We've seen singles matches, tag team matches, hardcore matches. Yeah. And I was wondering, isn't there like a match beyond that that we can see? <laughs> well, we are in luck because tonight is War Games, and I am really excited. I I don't think I've really... It's been a long time since I've seen one of these matches. Sure, yeah. Because I didn't see that recent NXT one. I just haven't gotten around oh, to okay. it. Oh, yeah, that okay. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how this works out, especially since I kind of remember in the past that the cage was not the highest quality. <laughs> yeah. I've only really, other than the NXT match, I think I can only recall one other War Games match. I think we'll talk about it a little later on the show, so I'm going to save that for a little bit down the road. But before we get to that, and all the rest of the action, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can check us out at Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And of course, you can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Oh, we, Dave and I ate some pizza before we recorded, and uh, I ate too much pizza, and I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm ready to nap on this table right now. <laughs> but I can't do that because today is Sunday, September 15th, 1996, and we are coming to you live from the Lawrence Jewell Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, in front of 11,300 fans, 10,714 of whom paid for a total gate of $153,914. Uh, they also got an additional $52,000 in merch sales. According to Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer, Four Horsemen gear outsold NWO gear 4-1, to one, which is uh, admittedly a geographical anomaly, as yes. we are, of course, mm-hmm. in North Carolina here. And you'll see, if you're actually if you end up actually watching this uh, pay-per-view, is that there's a lot of fans that still have their own makeshift NWO shirts, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
Uh, of course, the main event of tonight uh, that uh, we've been building to for quite some time is the War Games match of the uh, Four Horsemen, sort of. It's Arn Anderson and Ric Flair, and then former Horseman Lex Luger. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, of course, Sting was meant to be a part of that team, as we saw he uh, attacked Lex Luger on Nitro. So now uh, we're questioning, is he going to be on the NWO side? We don't really know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's part of the intrigue. We do know on the NWO side we're going to have Hollywood Hulk Hogan, uh, and the Outsiders, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. Yeah. So it's a four-on-four match that we know as being a three-on-three match right now. <laughs> I'd say our other biggest match is the number one contender for Hollywood Hulk Hogan's world championship is Randy Macho Man Savage. And tonight he is going to face the Giant, mm-hmm. who is new to the NWO. Uh, and then probably the third most important match, uh, kind of going from the top down, is going to be the tag team title match between the Nasty Boys and Harlem Heat. Yep. Uh, the undercard features, you know, uh, some exciting matches. I guess, you know, the other um, title match or legitimate title match is going to be our cruiserweight title match of Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Super Colo. Uh The Mexican heavyweight title, if you want to... Uh, by the way, I, I'm going to spoil something that I was going to say later in the show. I'm moving the Mexican heavyweight title officially to non-prestigious non-title. Okay. That makes sense. I think they've kind of killed the Lord of the Ring completely, so I, I mm. still want a non-prestigious non-title, and certainly the Mexican heavyweight is a good contender. Because I don't think Conan's ever going to, quote, drop that title to someone. I think eventually it's just going to go away. Yeah, and considering in this match he doesn't even bring it with him. It doesn't even make an appearance. Right, right. <laughs> Tony Schiavone and Dusty, as I said before, as you saw right at the top of the program, war as never before has been declared. And tonight, housed in two rings, one giant steel cage, WCW against the NWO. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, you know, shockwave upon shockwave was delivered at the doorstep of WCW. The NWO seems to be in control. The playing field brain has changed now that Sting has turned and become obviously a member of the NWO. War Games will tell the truth tonight about WCW. Well, the guys in the back right now are taking bets that this is going to be the NWO's last pay-per-view. And if you think the horsemen are in trouble, this match was created for them. Two rings, a steel cage. You think they're in trouble. Don't ever count the horsemen out in Ric Flair and Aaron Anderson and Luger. I'll tell you one thing. W- NWO may have seen their last wrestling match on earth. We kick off the pay-per-view with a video package walking us through the last few months, starting with the arrival of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash to follow and the gathering forces of the NWO. We see the attacks by the New World Order on the stars of WCW, along with audio clips and the music from Bash at the Beach, that sort of mellow mm-hmm. guitar th- that uh, I really like that theme, but I was disappointed that we're getting it like two and a half months again. Just right. write a different song. Come yeah. I, I also liked uh, at the very beginning, they did some uh, careful editing so they didn't have the uh, Kevin Nash adjective yeah, yeah. quote in there. It ends with some footage from the... It ends with some footage from the episode of Saturday Night, which aired one night before this pay-per-view, where the NWO, mainly the Giant, smashed the shit out of, uh, allegedly, Lex Luger's car. Right. 
Incidentally, that car was actually a rental, and the giant did far more damage to it than had previously been agreed to at the rental agency, and he was personally stuck with a bill for thousands of dollars. <laughs> they just were like, yeah, that's that guy. <laughs> I don't know if it's because it was a little bit of a rib, he was new, or if it was like a corporate thing, but the giant personally had to pick up the bill for smashing up that car. I didn't realize you can make agreements with rental industry to be like, we're going to do X amount of damage to your car. I think, you know, if you buy the insurance and the insurance covers so much damage and mm. then they just went way over that damage. Okay. So like if, if you get like tornado insurance and but it's okay to throw it into a tornado then? Well, I feel like this came up on an episode of, uh, or maybe even the movie, Jackass. I think they rented a car and got the insurance and then just beat the shit out of the car and then we're like, well, we got the insurance. And I mean, I know that show's not completely uh, grounded in reality, but <laughs> right. But I mean, uh, the same sort of idea was exploited, mm. I guess. War is in the air, declares Tony Schiavone, as the inside of the arena is filled with pyro and we see the always odd sight of the two ring setup that's necessary to facilitate war games. Our announced team tonight is the three-man crew of Tony Schiavone, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Dusty Rhodes, although we will get Mike Tanay intermittently throughout the show. Mm -hmm. All three men are in tuxes, and nobody's looking particularly embarrassing this evening. Like, all three look decent. Yeah, they. All, I thought they all dressed very nicely. Dusty says a lot of Dusty stuff and reminds us that Sting has turned and is, quote, obviously a member of the NWO. Obviously. Heenan is actually confident tonight, saying that War Games was a match created for the Four Horsemen, so if you think they're in trouble, you're the one who's mistaken. Heenan, and according to him, the boys in the back, think this could possibly be the very last pay-per-view that you'll be seeing the NWO. <laughs> wow. That's a lot of confidence, considering that he doesn't really, like, since NWO shown up, he's not been very confident. I would agree. Uh, he is accurate, though, for anyone who doesn't know, War Games was indeed a match designed to showcase the Four Horsemen. Dusty Rhodes originally came up with the concept, allegedly after watching Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Oh, no. <laughs> No way. Yeah, oh, I'm surprised you didn't know that as a big no, Mad Max fan. No, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> now I love this even more. Uh, of course, that's an installment of the post-apocalyptic Mad Max series where Max is forced to compete in fights to the death in a large gladiatorial arena. <laughs> He's like, know who else should fight to the death? The nature boy, Ric Flair. <laughs> <laughs> in a War Games match, two wrestling rings are set side by side with very little gap between them. A large cage including a roof, is then lowered around both rings. Traditionally, two teams of four, or sometimes five, uh, would then come down and wait outside the cage. Each team would send in one man to start the match. Uh, so you got two guys, one from each team in the match, and then after a five-minute period, mm -hmm. a referee would flip a coin, which determined which team got to send a man in, who would then have a two-on-one advantage. Right. Uh, and then all the subsequent periods were two minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, so you go from one five-minute one-on-one opening period to then uh, guys uh, intermittently like getting an advantage, and then the other team sends in people, and then it's equal for a couple minutes mm -hmm. until the team that wins the coin flip is once again gets a numbers advantage. Uh, because of the way wrestling works, the heels 99% of the time win the coin flip. <laughs> right. Because it would not make sense to have the baby faces constantly getting a numbers advantage. Right. It just kills the whole story. There's got to be some, because they did, WCW did a ton of war games matches yeah uh including at like house shows like they would do it at a pay-per-view like a wrestle war and then they would tour on the the name of war games and they would just do a war games match in every city so that means that they were setting up double rings for like house shows too? yeah yep. wow cool i mean i suppose once you have like the cage set up and you have an extra ring 
why not like get more use out of them by having like the house show tours? Um, and then just correct me if I'm wrong, but um, the NXT War Games that was recently, did they re- did they take out the roof part of it? I believe they took out the roof. They changed the the period structure. I don't exactly remember how. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. There was there was a number of major changes to the NXT version. Mm-hmm. Um. To the point where you're almost like you guys wanted. Clearly, you wanted to do a tribute to War Games. You know, it was a dusty thing. Yeah. Uh, I've I've heard. I don't know if this is true. It's just kind of been said enough times that I accepted this fact that Triple H is a fan of the concept. Um. So I don't mm-hmm. know if that's true necessarily, but I I believe it. Uh, so I'm surprised that they would make a big show about bringing war games back and then do it so different. Uh, not that I had a problem with it. It didn't make me angry, and I thought mm. the match was good. So, you know, whatever. It's it's nice to have it back, and, and hopefully it makes an appearance in another couple of years or so. Yeah, I know some people were talking about, like, how, oh, this year they could do it because they're going to have, like, the NXT UK, and they could have, like, the brands go against each other. Oh, yeah. So, That'd I, be cool. Yeah. Another uh, important rule to know about war games is it's only after all participants have entered the match... Uh, that it can actually be won. Until that point, there's just no winning the match. And then once everybody's in, the only way to win the match is by submission, surrender, or knockout. So no pinfalls, no countouts, no mm-hmm. disqualifications. The original War Games match was held at the Great American Bash 1987, where the Road Warriors, Nikita Koloff, and Dusty Rhodes defeated the Four Horsemen. The gimmick usually makes a pay-per-view appearance about once a year and then would be used, as I said, at a few big house shows during a tour following that show. They were usually violent and bloody matches, and a few are considered to be classics, with both the 1991 and 1992 War Games matches being given five stars by Dave Meltzer. Uh, I actually watched the 92 one recently. Mm-hmm. It is a really good match. That's uh, Sting Squadron versus the Dangerous Alliance. Okay. Uh, so it's like Paulie, and he's got Rick Rude, Arn Anderson, Larry Zabisco, a couple other guys. Yeah. Medusa's out there. She climbs on top of the the cage and drops in Paulie's phone that's used as a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, but this cool. is before like Turner had gotten really serious about being more family friendly. Mm-hmm. So it's a bloody violent match Sweet. they have not been able to do that for a few years now uh so it's it's war games like was like a a devastating brutal match and that's kind of been reduced mm-hmm. uh incidentally the nxt one was uh accidentally like some <laughs> i forget who it was uh um, alexander wolf wasn't yeah he? that sounds right yeah he got like busted open real bad <laughs> yeah after four years of being a part of the annual wrestle war event war games was eventually moved to fall brawl and WrestleWar was retired and replaced by Slamboree. Of course, the only other war games that we've covered was 1995's, which we didn't actually cover. We just talked about it on the Nitro that followed Fall Brawl last year. Yeah. Uh, that's where Hulk Hogan's Hulkamaniacs team defeated the Dungeon of Doom. Uh, and after that was the giant breaking Hulk Hogan's neck. Oh, wrenching it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yep. the idea was that he murdered him and broke his neck. But mm-hmm. of course, not actually what happened. Right. Tony nonsensically claims that WCW had a lot of confidence until last Monday when Sting turned. Uh, but before that, WCW was getting their ass kicked every week. Mm-hmm. Like, last week was just more of the same. So WCW is not coming in at any point with a lot of confidence. Yeah, and like I was saying before with Bobby Heenan, the commentators have never expressed confidence at all. Right. Like, they were, they always seemed like the sky was falling when it came to the NWO. So the fact that, like, both of the commentators kind of have, like, this, like, unusually high amount of confidence yeah it's just it's it's a little weird it just seems weird to start off the show like this now none of the announcers know who the fourth man will be for wcw uh since presumably sting won't be 
Heenan says that a lot of guys in the back are chomping at the bit to fill that role, and Shivani claims that it will be the biggest battleground in the history of our sport. Wow. What, the, the battleground to be the fourth guy? I think the battleground of the match. Okay. <laughs> Out comes Diamond Dallas Page for his match against Chavo Guerrero Jr., who is making his pay-per-view debut. Uh, there's like four pay-per-view debuts. This is a show of, of debuts, I mm-hmm. guess. <laughs> I didn't have a good follow-up. Yeah, that. and I... Th- and I'm pretty sure every debut is of a guy that has, like, a significant, like, tenure in WCW, too, right? Uh, other than Chavo. And Super Kolo. Well, well, Chavo stays until 99. Oh, oh, I thought you meant before this. No, no. I, I thought mean, you were like, these are guys that have been around, just not on paper. Oh, no. I see. Yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I just wanted to note with Diamond Dallas Page, he get, like he does, like, a A-plus fake-out on a fan for a high, for a high-five. Oh, I missed that. Oh, it's so good. You have to go back and watch it. It's like perfect. And then the same fan misses Chavo Guerrero too. So <laughs> there's one fan in the in the front row that is already having a shitty time by the time the first match starts. <laughs> Although th- there were a couple of uh, dark matches, weren't there? Uh, there almost certainly were, and uh, I normally get those. I didn't get them this time. Yeah, I just remember I read that there were two of them. I can pull those up while you're... Yeah, look those up somewhere. Okay. Chavo takes the advantage early with a drop kick that sends DDP into the ropes and then another which knocks him to the floor. So when he goes into the ropes, DDP does this thing where he kind of gets hung between the top and middle rope. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's kind of a cool spot, but it's something that only ever happens to DDP. It's one of those things where you're like, well, why doesn't anyone else ever get in that position? Just like, right. why do guys only fall on the middle rope when they're fighting Rey Mysterio? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, why does it never happen in any other match? <laughs> right. So DDP is on the floor, and Chavo gets him with a slingshot somersault senton. They brawl on the outside for a while, with DDP being thrown into the ring steps, at which point Dusty says, He's being ragtagged. He made his bed, and he's going to sleep in it. <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> uh, and by the way, there actually were not any dark matches. Oh, that's why I didn't have them this time. Right. Okay. okay. Chavo whips DDP with a belt. No DQ. Mm-hmm. In the ring, Chavo slows things down with an armbar. Dusty speaks for a solid 45 seconds or so, uh, more or less one single run-on sentence that starts off being about how DDP is riled up and ends up being about Hogan and Sting. <laughs> drag takedown. It's been all Chavo Jr. with the offense, and that's looking good for the youngster right here. You know what, Tony? You know, Dallas surely had a game plan when he come in here. But as I say again, you got him riled up. And, and now Guerrero is, is, is not only ragtagged him, but got him down in position now to go ahead and try to get him in, in, in a spot to where he can get a win. As you said, what does a win matter? A win means a lot when you're on this major uh, uh, pay-per-view that we're on here called the War Games tonight because so much at stake. And, and our hearts were broken not only by Hogan, but recently by Sting. And I guarantee you, we really, really got to go for him tonight, Brain. Heenan says that the key for DDP is to force Chavo into making a mistake, and that's exactly what the veteran Page does. He tries to catch Chavo with a tilt-a-whirl side slam, but Chavo gets him with an arm drag and a drop kick that hangs DDP up on the ropes, just like happened at the start of the match. But this time when Chavo goes for another drop kick, DDP moves, and Chavo falls to the floor below. So I really like that. Heenan's like, he's going to have to trick him, and then immediately afterward, DDP tricks him. It was great. (laughs) DDP gets a big pop from a flying clothesline. They're going to need to turn DDP face soon, I feel like. People are really starting to get behind him. Yeah. Um, I also kind of felt like this might be one of those uh, instances where it's the first match and everyone's pretty 
pumped up for any wrestling. Yeah, but in general, I think the um, Diamond Cutter gets a huge pop now. Oh, it does, for sure. DDP slows things down until going for a suplex that Chavo reverses into a roll-up for two. Page does kind of a back suplex thing that sends Chavo spinning down into the mat face first. Whatever it was, it looks cool, and it gets a two. Tony gives a little history of war games and says there's been more injuries in war game than any other type of match. Dusty claims to have been airlifted out of one due to a broken ankle that he suffered, which never happened. I think he's thinking of the infamous time he got uh, the horseman kayfabe broke his leg inside a steel cage in 1983. Okay. I, uh, please tweet me if I'm wrong. I, I'm fairly sure that was not a War Games match. I like the idea that he had to get airlifted for a broken leg. That, or in Dusty's words, a broken ankle. Yeah. Airlifted for a broken ankle. <laughs> right. Chavo starts his comeback and DDP assists with his big banana peel kick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. love it. DDP bends over for a back body drop, but Chavo knees him and is firing up. Chavo gets a springboard crossbody that's got some awkward timing and proximity issues. I wrote these notes a while ago, so I don't remember what those were, but it's got timing and proximity issues, Dave. Okay, I can buy that. <laughs> he neglects to pin Page and instead goes to the top for a missile drop kick for two and then a flying head scissors for another two. Page catches Chavo with an elbow and pins him with his feet on the ropes for his two count of his own. DDP throws Chavo over the top ropes of both rings and Chavo lands in ring number two. That's one thing I like about the War Games pay-per-view is that every other match now has an extra ring to work with. Mm -hmm. It's perfectly legal to just go over in the other ring and just keep your match going there as long as it's within those four ropes. Yeah, um, I, th I think I made a note or two about how I like that, that they yeah. utilize that. And also, I know... At least one point, Tony Schiavone doesn't know if they can do that or not. Sure. I was wondering, too, if... Uh, I mean, granted, we know that the throwing over the top rope is never a disqualification, mm -hmm. unless it is a disqualification. Right. Uh, but I was wondering, if you throw a guy over the top ropes, is it a DQ, but then he goes over the top ropes of a different ring and lands in that ring? They cancel out. Yeah, they cancel out, because he's <laughs> right. still in a legal ring, and the match <laughs> is still continuing. Right. <laughs> We get an awkward side slam for Paige for two, and then a head scissors from Chavo for another two. Paige hits a fucking awesome spinning sit-out powerbomb for two, uh, which, like I said, I wrote these a while ago, but I remember that being, it was just awesome. Yeah. He nails him. He's, he's doing this great spin while he does the sit-out powerbomb. It looks great. Yeah, so, and I, I watched this whole show really recently, so um, there's, that, that, that with that move, initially Chavo doesn't, like, like immediately work with it or however you want to phrase that. Yeah. But Paige just kind of muscles them out. And yeah. And anytime you can see that like uh, a wrestler is doing that extra effort. Yeah. You kind of appreciate that. But like the fans also just went crazy for this. And yeah, it looked, it looked great. Paige calls for the diamond cutter. He goes for it, but Chavo almost turns it into a backslide, which is how uh, Chavo beat Paige on Nitro yep. uh, a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So Paige fights it off this time and nails the cutter for the win right around the 13-minute mark. Uh, I thought this was a good opening match, no complaints. Mm -hmm. It felt a little bit like just a long, good TV match. Yeah. Um, I think at this point you can you can really see that DDP like writes out and kind of rehearses his matches. Like, it feels like everything is, like, a specific spot to a specific spot to a specific spot. Yeah. With not, like, improv kind of in there. Mm -hmm. But it does add up to things that make sense. Like, um, 
the veteran tricking the younger guy with like uh, uh, something that worked earlier in the match and then later he's using it for his own advantage mm -hmm. or uh, the ending, which incorporates something that had worked for Chavo on Nitro, but this time DDP has learned from it. Yeah. So I thought that was great. I think they told a really good story in this match and I appreciated it quite mm -hmm. a bit. No, and I thought this was a really good uh, energetic match. Good, good way to, you know, because I say pretty much any time we do a podcast is that it, you always need to have a really good opening match to keep the crowd involved. Right. But um, you'll learn pretty quickly that this, this crowd is super pumped for like everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that just, it makes the, the overall quality, it just brings it up like like half a grade or, or something like that when the crowd's really into it. And you especially see that with the main event too. Like sure. they are super into like everything that's happening. So, but no, I thought, I thought this was a really great, uh, a really good match. Um, you, you can tell like since we've been doing the podcast, the Diamond House page is improving. He, he seems like he has a better wherewithal in the ring. Like he's not, there's not as much like kind of guessing that he's doing. So, and, but also like Chavo, despite the fact that this is kind of weird, but like Chavo was only a pro for two years Wow! at this point, which is like, I just always think of Chavo as like a 20 year veteran pretty much, right. but he was only been wrestling for two years, but he seems like he's like, you know, he is the veteran of the two in the ring. So. Well, yeah. And yeah, DDP famously seems like a vet, but he has also not been in nearly as long as you think he just started super old, you know? Yeah. Uh, during the replays, Tony calls Chavo a pit bull. So, of course, Heenan has to say he's actually a Mexican chihuahua. Yay. Couldn't, couldn't just let any other dog metaphor go, could you? <laughs> right. Backstage, we see the Harlem Heat, Sister Sherry, and Colonel Robert Parker, who are all on CompuServe chatting with fans. Mm -hmm. Apparently, we're done pretending that wrestlers are capable of using computers. So now the Heat have some dorky-looking WCW intern actually doing the typing for them. Uh, Sherry appears to be wearing the leather vest that Parker gave her a couple nitros ago. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that's paying off. Yeah. <laughs> I just, could you imagine being like uh, working for CompuServe or, I know this didn't exist in 1996, but the WCW social media department or whatever. Right. And having that particular group of people, Harlem <laughs> Heat, Sherry, and Parker all just yelling at you what to type. Mm -hmm. That would be terrifying. <laughs> I would, right. That's, that's the short straw. Uh, being drawn right there as far Espe as intern duties go. Especially since Colonel Robert Parker's right behind you and you know he's just sweating all over oh, you. And his breath is probably real gross because <laughs> I bet he chews. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think once they had that backstage segment with the Steiner brothers pretending to type, they were like, yeah, we can't do this anymore. It's just, it's not convincing. Plus, plus Rick Steiner just pretended he was playing a racing game. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to act like I'm on a computer, so fuck it. I'm going to do something else. Tony says that WCW has been under attack since Memorial Day, the day Scott Hall showed up on Nitro. We then go to a fairly well-produced special report from Mean Gene, which is a highlight package of most of the NWO stuff that's happened to get us to this point. Uh, it definitely feels like this is something that is just from the pre-show that like, you'd see on the... Um, like if you turn it to the pay-per-view channel before the pay-per-view started and they're trying to get you mm -hmm. to order it. Yeah. Like this would be the thing they'd show. Uh -huh. So it's really well produced and I have no problems with it. I just don't know why we're giving airtime on the pay-per-view itself to over to this. It seemed kind of strange. Uh, it also happens to be Gene Okerlund's uh, last appearance for at least a little while. 
as he wrapped up with the company last week. His contract expired. Uh, he was saying his goodbyes backstage. And from the Wrestling Observer, uh, between Okerlund's base contract and his cut of the 900 line, it was believed that he was earning in the neighborhood of $420,000 per year and was looking for a raise. Wow. Depending on whose story one chooses to believe, Okerlund, either a few weeks ago or over the last few days, spoke with Vince McMahon about coming back, but not a lot of interest was shown. Okerlund had been playing the going-to-WWF card in negotiations with WCW, so since the Titan card has been played, Okerlund is now expected to come back to the negotiating table from a much weaker position. <laughs> uh, so WCW feels like he's coming back. Uh, spoiler alert, he is coming back. Mm -hmm. uh, but for right now, he's actually gone. This was produced before he left, uh, and that's why the, all the interviews that we'll see later on the show are going to be handled by Mike Tanay. Yeah, I, I kind of was wondering about that. I didn't know if it was just like, oh, they're trying to expand the things that Mike Tanay did. I just... I didn't put together that Mean Gene actually wasn't there. That was a sign for where things are at backstage in WCW. There are guys who believe that this is a work and that Okerlund is going to be reintroduced as the NWO announcer. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love Gene. Gene's like just one of the best. He would never have been a heel. That would just not have worked at all. Right. And, and somewhere with people thinking that, you know, somewhere Kevin Sullivan's smiling. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Up next, we've got a submission match as Fire and Ice continues to explode. <laughs> They're just spending all summer exploding. Oh, boy, there's no love lost between these two. <laughs> as they come to the ring, Tony talks about the demands that the NWO has made should they win war games. <laughs> there's, of course, the NWO segment on each TV show, which mm -hmm. we've talked about. There's the tag team tournament that they've discussed. Uh -huh. But also, Tony now says that the NWO has demanded their own show. A limo for Hogan, who we always only see travel in limos anyway. Right. Their own jet. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and then he says, and a host of other things, including, quote, no more biased officiating, <laughs> which I thought was actually pretty funny. Yeah. I just, I laughed about that because it seems like every time they bring up these demands, they kind of change. Yeah. And I wonder if the announcers are just kind of like improvising what they think. <laughs> sure. Because at some point, it's a tag team tournament. Yeah. Someone says that they want their own tag team titles. There's there's a lot of different things. And like you said, first they wanted a segment, and then there's the idea of having their own show. So it's really, it's like, I don't feel like WCW is doing a good job at the bargaining table on this regard. If mm -hmm. like they can expand their demands as the show goes on. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, for the ice train, Scott Norton match, uh, Mark Curtis has got a, a microphone, mm -hmm. which just reminds me of the goddamn submission match with, uh, what is it? Bret Hart. And Bob Ackland. Yeah. And Piper is the referee and mm -hmm. he's just on the mic the whole goddamn time. So when he's, I saw him and he's shouting. Yeah. Brett, what are you saying? Ah, ah, God, I'm gonna have to. When you when you hear that on the show, just know that I'll edited that down, like I'll turn Dave's volume down, and you will not have to have your eardrums blown out like I just did. God, I'm gonna be thrown off the rest of this. Ugh. You're like, what day is it? Where am I? Now Tony Schiavone says that this submission match is like an I quit match. Hmm, good, good point, Tony. <laughs> right, and you, you expect him to say something else, but he doesn't. <laughs> no, he thinks that that's a good point. <laughs> right. Oh, Moving boy. on. 
Uh, Ice Train is in control early and focuses on the arm and shoulder quite a bit. He hits an awesome standing splash with just a ton of height. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going to be a a while ago because, like I said, I watched this show. Or I watched the beginning of the show quite a while ago. I watched the main event just this morning. Um, But I tweeted a picture. So if you go back... uh, I don't know, sometime in mid June. <laughs> Why would you do that? You're gonna <laughs> right. you could probably sooner just go to this match on the network than through my old tweets. Right. Uh anyway, the point is he gets a great splash. Yeah. Uh, so good that I took a sc- screenshot of it. That's mm-hmm. that's all I'm trying to say. Heenan lets out a whoa, but it is otherwise completely ignored because Dusty is rambling about <laughs> fucking nothing. <laughs> Train goes for another splash, but this time Norton moves. Norton hits a DDT and takes over. A back suplex and then some kick punch clothesline stuff uh, gets Norton firmly in control. Train finally hits a power slam and then slaps on a camel clutch, the first submission attempt of this match. Curtis holds up the mic and Norton apparently says no, so Train just gives up. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be, unfortunately, a staple of this match. You put on a submission, a guy says no, and then you're like, well, I didn't win. I guess I better keep going. Yeah. Just keep... If that's a rule, if the hold doesn't make the guy immediately give up and you have to get... Like, then explain that rule. I doubt it is a rule. I think right. these guys are just not thinking logically. Well, I mean, it's been WSW since we've been yeah. broadcasting. Is yeah. that people release holds. Um, also, in, since you did bring up that, the Brett-Bob Backlund, um, that I quit match. Yeah. Um, I just I found it just noteworthy that you can't really hear anything on the microphone. Yeah. Yeah, it, it ended up not being as big a hindrance as I thought it was going to be. Right. Ice Train hits a snap suplex, and Tony lies through his teeth, saying how disappointing it was that this team broke up and that they were, quote, quite a tag team. <laughs> they started losing, like, immediately after they teamed I up. I don't remember a time when they won a match. I think, you know, on, like, Saturday night, maybe, but they were, like, losing to the Rock and Roll Express on dark show matches before pay-per-views, like, almost mm. immediately. <laughs> right. Norton gets back into things, eventually locking on a cross-arm breaker. It's almost like a code red, says Shivani, which is a good observation, as it's literally the same move. (laughs) Tony, in fairness, does realize that on the next sentence, as he claims that Norton is doing it to show up Teddy Long, who, of course, manages Pittman, Mm -hmm. who uh, uses the code red as a finisher. Right. Which is that was that was good on his behalf. Yeah, it was especially after, like, making a bad call. Then he, like, made a a good link because Mm -hmm. especially because Teddy Long has kind of become part of the storyline uh, with that whole thing with uh, a Nitro last week with Pittman versus Norton. Mm-hmm. Long hops up on the apron and is thinking about throwing in the towel, but then thinks the better of it and just climbs back down. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe not. Maybe I shouldn't. Norton gives up on the hold and continues to work the arm before hitting a neck breaker. That's probably what he thought. He's like, well, he's probably just going to let go of this hold anyway. <laughs> let's see how this plays out. <laughs> right. Let's give it a few seconds. Train hits a scoop slam and then slaps on an arm bar, which he gives up when Norton fails to submit. <laughs> we get a flying clothesline and a backsplash from Train before Norton gets his knees up when Train goes for a second splash. Both men co- then come off the ropes and Norton catches a leaping Train and throws him to the mat for a like a spine buster except Norton just stays standing, mm-hmm. which just shows how goddamn strong that guy is that he catches fucking Ice Train and then just throws him down with authority. Well, I, I like that you said the phrase that Norton caught a leaping train. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> right. I sort of called the the, the standing spinebuster, it's like a 25% of an Alabama slam. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I know exactly the move you're talking about. It's, it's hard to, it's like, it looks kind of like a spinebuster, but it's yeah. kind of hard to call it that because the other guy's just standing there. I it, mean, it's like how uh, Farouk would do his spinebusters. 
a Boston crab by Norton is not enough to get trained to uncle, in the words of Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> you gotta make him say uncle. He doesn't say uncle, or excuse me, Dusty doesn't say the word say. He says he has to uncle him. Yeah. He uses yeah. uncle like it's a verb mm-hmm. for giving up. Yeah. Norton goes to work uh, an arm bar, but Teddy Long once again gets on the apron with the white towel, and Norton stupidly gives up the hold to just go threaten Teddy Long, of all people. Well, why would he threaten him? Because he's about to... All he's doing is standing on the apron thinking about letting you win the match. You're right. <laughs> it's insane. He, he should have let that, <laughs> let that play out for a few seconds. <laughs> Let's see where this goes. Maybe I'm going to win now. <laughs> He goes for another hold in the arm, and Long gets on the apron again, so Norton grabs him. Train gets a couple shots to Norton's back, uh, sort of the kidney area, and then Ice Train puts on a full Nelson that Norton actually submits to at about the seven-minute mark. Yeah. So of all the holds to end this match, a full Nelson, which, like, a full Nelson controls the opponent's body, and I'm not saying it's comfortable, but that's not a particularly painful hold to be in. You know, like... I, I, I have a real trouble understanding why that was the finish. It was what? such a weird choice. I mean, I'm I'm just a kind of I just have a hard time believing that Scott Norton would submit. Yeah. Just period. Sure. Let alone to something that's like it, it to it's kind of to me emasculating for him because it's like a total like arm strength sort of submission move. Yeah. It's something that he would have used, but he's submitting to instead. Yeah. I don't feel like this match really helps either of these guys or really like moves this feud forward or yeah. ends it or anything like it just it just feels like it's a filler like for the card i think they backed themselves into a corner when they made a, a submission match mm-hmm. because you either have to have train lose twice in a row and kind of kill him off completely right or you have to have Norton submit, which is completely antithetical to the Scott Norton character, like right. you're saying. Yeah. So yeah, this just the booking uh, of having this match in the first place seems like a real bad choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did think it was better than the Hog Wild match, which is not saying much because that match was just complete trash. Yeah. Uh, like I thought structurally this match was okay. The finish was the only thing I had a real problem with. Uh, and, of course, the guys letting go of the submissions was stupid. Mm-hmm. But, like, things were executed crisply. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any problem with the how they were doing the moves or anything. I mean, when I think of the Hogwild match, I always think of that Ice Train had, like, that mummy wrapping on him that kept coming yeah. off. And yes. It was really distracting. So they didn't have it this time, so that's a plus. After replays, we go right to the announcements for the Mexican championship match between Juventud Guerrera and Conan. Tanae joins commentary for this one, and Conan comes out with his new Mexican gangster gimmick, and he has Jimmy Hart with him, since, of course, as we learned on Nitro, he's just in the Dungeon of Doom now. Mm-hmm. There's no, nothing more Mexican or gangster than the Dungeon of Doom. <laughs> as Dave said, uh, he may have Jimmy Hart, but he does not have the Mexican heavyweight title belt uh, that this match is ostensibly for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, I'm officially making the Mexican heavyweight championship a non-prestigious non-title. By the way, one of the things that, that Conan, just like the character, likes to do from now on, now that he kind of has like this attitude, yeah. he likes to kind of pretend that he's doing gang signs yeah, a lot. But I like that he has he's doing like the initials DOD for the, oh, dun- sure. for the Dungeon of Doom. <laughs> yeah. So it's like he's incorporating in there. So it's working a little bit. They talk about how Conan is now a heel and his turn on guys that he's been friends with for years, uh, etc., but kind of undercutting it, Conan and Hoovy then do a little fist bump before the match starts. 
Oh, do, do yeah, they? they do. They do like a little. Hey, like you're my buddy. Let's have a good match. Like right <laughs> as they're saying that he's turned his back on his friends. <laughs> I did not. I I I did not catch that whatsoever. <laughs> if I would have seen that, I've been like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I mean, you don't see that in almost any match. Like unless it's like a full handshake. This was a little more subtle, but it was just like, you guys, we're we're watching. <laughs> like I can see you right now. <laughs> After some strikes and reversals, Conan hits a nice release German suplex. Then he picks up Hoobie from the waist and throws him high over the top rope to the outside. Tanay says that Conan told him that WCW had tried to Americanize him, but now he's gone back to his roots and his gear represents a way of life and represents all the cholos of Mexico. <laughs> Which I was like, please, Bobby, don't say something about this. Yeah. <laughs> And I he, had to look up and see if Cholo was a slur or not, because I honestly didn't know. And it sounds like, uh, it seems like it used to have a pejorative meaning, but now has sort of been reclaimed. It's, it's. I think it's seen differently now. I think if you or I, uh, white dudes from Minnesota, were to call someone that, it probably would read the wrong way. Mm -hmm. uh, but in general, it's not considered like a, a terrible offensive term or anything. Okay, so it's like, it's probably not in today's character to be saying words like that, but... <laughs> yes. Because Tanae is the equivalent of us. <laughs> uh, he's yeah. Yeah. Hoobie <laughs> <laughs> does some nice tight Hoobie does some nice rope walking between both rings before hitting a somersault senton. Shortly after, he catches Conan on the outside with a huge tope. Conan whips Hoobie into the guardrail, but Hoobie jumps onto it and then onto Conan for a rana. But Conan catches him and hits a huge powerbomb. Ouch. Conan gets a somersault clothesline, that little one that he does, the oh, sort like, of somersault lariat or whatever you want to call like it. Like the rolling clothesline? Yeah, yeah, which I think is a great move. It's super cool looking. Yeah, and plus no one else does it, so. Yep. He then gets a dropkick on a seated Guerrera for a two count. Tanay plugs the hotline where you can hear Bischoff talk about a variety of subjects, including the rumors about Hall and Nash. Uh, he's talking, of course, about the uh, fake Ramon and Diesel bullshit going oh, on over at yep. WWF. Mm-hmm. They try to do a version of the spot that Chris Hamrick was famous for, uh, where Hamrick would run the ropes and then have his leg kicked out from behind him, and then he'd like sail between the ropes and just land flat out on the floor. Yeah, I caught your your Twitter exchange about trying to figure out the the person that did that. Yeah, and I was watching for the. I guess I must not have been looking because I did not see this spot. Sure. Yeah. So what happens in this match is Hoovy runs past Conan. Conan does the thing where he kicks his leg out from behind him. And their idea, at least I'm fairly sure this was their idea, was that he was going to do the Hamrick thing, except where he was going to fall between the ropes into the next ring, which would look really cool and be way safer mm -hmm. uh, than the Hamrick version where you're going out to the floor. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, there's just too many ropes, and Hoovy's feet hits the bottom rope of the second ring, mm -hmm. so he just ends up like awkwardly between the rings and then has to climb into the second ring where he was supposed <laughs> to land. It would have been really cool, and I yeah. see what they were going for. It just didn't quite work out. And I, I did see that there was a gif that was put on Twitter of the Chris Hamrick thing. Yes, yes. That, that is reckless as shit. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. it's. I assume it was because like that guy knew with his looks and his skills he wasn't going to get booked everywhere. Mm -hmm. So he was like, all right, I got to just do like a thing that no one else does that's fucking crazy. Oh, like uh, like when Mick Foley had the running elbow off the apron? Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. Like his, like, I have to do something high risk and different so people will like pay attention to me. Yeah, if nothing else, these guys are going to book me one time to come in in a match and do this insane thing. Yeah. You know? No, I watch it. I was like, <laughs> first time I was like, no way. <laughs> it was just, 
you have to look it up. Like yeah, like, Google Chris Hamrick if you don't know what we're talking about. I believe the match that he does it in the WWF is against X Pac, uh, or the One Two Three Kid. One Two Three Kid. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll tr- I'll try to make sure when this show is posted, I'll I'll put a I'll post up a, a gif or a clip of it on uh, Facebook. Cool. Conan then gets between the rings, and Hoovy does a springboard head scissors that's meant to take Conan over the ropes and back into the first ring. But given the space constraints of being between the two sets of ropes, there's just no real way to do that gracefully. Uh, so on paper, I see what they were going for, but in reality, Conan just has to clearly like flip himself over the rope into the ring, and it just it looks really sloppy and bad. Yeah, you you get the sense now that like who at least Hoovintu, but maybe Hoovintud and Conan had these ideas of things you could do with the two rings, but maybe didn't go out there and practice it or see if it worked or not. Right. Because these are two things that like are clearly the distance wouldn't make them work. So. Right. Hoovy goes for a pin, but Patrick correctly refuses to count as Guerrero's foot and Conan's head are both under the ropes. <laughs> I know the officiating is a little looser in Mexico, so maybe that's just not something he was used to was mm. someone being like, no, you're breaking the rules. <laughs> maybe that is not the rule in Mexico. For all I know, I'd be curious to find out. I was one of the things I like about WCW referees. I mean, for all the different rules that they just don't pay attention to, yeah. they are really strict when it comes to like anyone being close to the ropes. Oh, sure. They, they never miss it. Hooventude gets a jumping spin kick that sends Conan to the outside. Hoovy then gets on him with a plancha and rolls him back into the ring. Guerrero gets a springboard drop kick to Conan's back that sends Conan across the ring. Hoovy then charges after him, but Conan back body drops him up and over the ropes, and Hoovy twists in midair and lands gut first on the ropes of the second ring. It looks fucking awesome. <laughs> it looks so cool. Conan just picks him up and tosses him back into ring number one. Yeah. Hoovy goes for a springboard moonsault press, and I think the plan was for Conan to catch him and powerbomb him, but Conan is too far back so we can't catch him, mm-hmm. and Hoovy still hits him, uh, including like an inadvertent kick to the head, but since that wasn't the plan, Conan doesn't sell getting kicked in the head. Mm-hmm. Like He was like, oh, I was supposed to catch that guy and do a move, so instead he just ignores the botch and grabs Guerrera for the powerbomb that he would have hit had he caught him in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, as you can kind of get, the theme for this is there's some cool spots and some botchy spots, which mm-hmm. I think is common for a Juventud Guerrero match. Yeah, it's common for him to have botched, kind of, you know, mistimed or not exactly perfectly executed spots. It's also in Conan's, like, character to, he's not very good at improvising. Yeah. he, he He's the kind of guy that will, like, he'll just bulldoze his way and get to, like, this is what we're supposed to do. I'm just going to do this. Right. I don't care if it doesn't make sense at the time. <laughs> Conan hits some German suplexes, and Hoovy rolls to the outside to do some thinking. <laughs> Guerrera comes back into the ring with a springboard missile dropkick and a standing guillotine leg drop that I still can't believe Hogan lets him do on WCW shows. <laughs> That's crazy to me. They move to the apron, where Guerrera goes for a very sloppy attempt at his sunset flip powerbomb, but Conan won't go down for it, and he punches Guerrera off before coming off the ropes with a dropkick. Conan goes to the top rope, but Hoovy attacks him. Hoovy climbs the ropes, but instead of doing anything, he just does a backflip down to the ring, and Conan comes at him with a dropkick. Yeah, he did that in the... What was his Nitro match where he did that same thing? Oh, uh, with uh, Joe Gomez. Yeah. He did the, sa- he did the same thing. He, he, go- he placed a guy on the turnbuckle and then just flips off, 
but he doesn't seem like he has a plan of what happens after that. Yeah, he's just like, look at this thing I can do. I can right. do this cool flip. Aren't you? Don't you want to just lose the match to me now? Aren't you impressed? Are you impressed yet? <laughs> after some pin reversals and other action uh, that is moving at half speed because Conan is blown up as shit now. I don't think it helps that he has like a lot of like heavier like material like yeah. what he's wearing basically. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, Guerrero hits another springboard move, this time a spinning kick to Conan's back. Conan comes back with a wheelbarrow suplex and then goes for a pin, and Patrick again has to refuse to count because they're once more under the ropes. Conan gets on the apron, and Guerrero hits a springboard dropkick. He then sets Conan up, hanging with his legs in the middle rope and his hands clutching the top rope, and Hoovy scurries to the top rope and hits a lightning-fast somersault leg drop for two. Hoovy gets a friggin' 450 for a two. Yes, he does. And not a lot of crowd reaction. I think, uh, th- we've mentioned before, this is a hot crowd in general, but I think they've just kind of blown this crowd out for this match. Like, there's just too much going on and too much of it is sloppy. Mm-hmm. And I think after a while, it's just a lot of white noise for the audience. Yeah, when when you've kind of tuned out of a match, even a great spot like that, it's hard to, like, immediately, like, come back into it, especially since, like, there really isn't, there's no investment for the fans for this particular match. Yeah. Plus, we've seen that the WCW audiences aren't really ready to embrace Hoovy at this point. Like, mm-hmm. he's he's kind of had a rough go of it, frankly, so far. And uh, not, like, quality-wise. He just has not really been able to get over uh he was put in that shitty position where he was meant forced to do a promo in English that he was just not able to do. Yeah. Uh, and I think it just kind of got him off on the wrong foot. So nobody really cares about Conan that much. Uh, he's in the Dungeon of Doom who is like kind of heels and kind of faces because they're in that weird position where like half the time they're fighting the NWO and they're baby faces mm-hmm. and the other t- half of the time they're heel. It just... There's there's a lot of reasons why the crowd is not going to care about what is going on in this match. And also, like, Juventud has not been given interesting matches either. Like, you know, if he, if you wanted him to be over, like, him facing Conan and Joe Gomez and guys like that. Yeah. Like, it, these are just matches that are kind of, like, made for fans to kind of, like, this is the time they go get nachos or something like that. Right. Dusty wonders what would be the international ramification of Nick Patrick making a bad call in this match. <laughs> I don't know the Mexican consulate's going to call. Be like, didn't you think about the ramifications of angering us? I don't know. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. <laughs> Do you realize the ramifications? <laughs> Back to the top rope, Hoovy hits a splash where he spins around needlessly as he comes down, uh, which looks cool, but doesn't really do much. Uh, and it gets another two. That was a move that felt like he improvised mid-air. Because, <laughs> yeah, he basically he jumps. He's like, I should do something. I'll just kind of turn a little bit and land on his legs. Hoovy goes up to the top of another corner, but this time Conan grabs him off the ropes for an Alabama slam, uh, where he then hangs onto the legs and flips over for a pin attempt for two. Conan hits a muscle buster for two and then splash mountain for three. That's the end. Yay. Yay. Today, the expert on this stuff claims that Conan calls Splash Mountain the power drop, mm-hmm. but that's not true. <laughs> he calls it Splash Mountain. <laughs> I know that because Mike Tanay told me like a month ago. <laughs> I, I don't really know where, uh, what's going on. Uh, so I thought that was a mostly fun match with some sloppy botched moments. Uh, definitely the best Conan match we've seen. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, I mean, most of his matches have been like way too much of Conan offense, so it's, right. it's good to see like him have to actually like do some selling, which he's right. not 
very good at. But um, yeah, Huventud, it's like watching him at this point. It's kind of miraculous to me that uh, like how much success he ends up having in WCW because he looks like he's about to just like burn out because he he like he's very athletic. And he's and he can do a lot of like cool stuff, right. but it's offset by a lot of like mistiming and a lot of like indecisiveness and things like that. But, um, but no, I agree. I mean, he, it's like a, it's an all or nothing with Juventud and that makes him really entertaining too. Yeah. Because you never know like what he's going to do and if it's going to work or not, they could, I mean, that would be kind of a way to play like his character pretty much of like, you know, you have no idea what he's going to do because he doesn't know what he's going to do. Right. Yeah, no, this was Hoovy's uh, pay-per-view debut, and it was more or less a showcase match for him. He definitely mm-hmm. was putting in a lot of work on offense. And, you know, Conan, uh, he's got his own quirks and foibles, but, like, he definitely is, you know, he helped bring in guys like Hoovy. He wants to make sure they get over. Yeah. So it's clear that he had no problem taking most, you know, uh, being on the receiving end of most of the offense in this match. Uh, so it was, he still gets the win, um, mm-hmm. but Hoovy gets to like show kind of a lot of the stuff that he can do. And they, and they and for their credit, they're definitely ambitious as far as like the spots they wanted to do. It just ended up that you know there was a little bit too much space between the rings um, to n- not nail some of those things that they wanted to do. But I mean, it definitely they definitely had like the goal in mind of like doing some impressive stuff with right. the, with the two rings. And again. You know, if you have one show all year that has two rings, like why not take advantage of it? Right. I feel like does like um does Triple A do they do a lot of like two ring stuff? No idea. No idea. Okay. Neither do I. Once again, we are not fucking around with time tonight as we immediately dismiss today and go to Dave Penzer for the announcement of the next bouts participants. This one is a surprise bonus match. Uh, one that we never heard mention of on Nitro, at least. And it is the Crippler Chris Benoit versus fellow Canadian Chris, Chris Jericho, oh. that is, who is making his pay-per-view debut. Jericho gets little reaction from the crowd, and a pan of the audience shows several people booing the young babyface. Oh, that's not nice. Benoit, a quasi-heel member of a quasi-babyface stable... <laughs> Yeah, is greeted with a loud pop as we are definitely in horseman country mm-hmm. uh, here to call all of the Canadian Chris action is our own Dave Amantor. All right. Well, wh- one thing I appreciated when Chris Moa was coming out in his intro video, it showed him um, when he was talking shit to Big Ron Stud on that Nitro a few weeks ago, which I thought was like, yeah. I thought that was a nice fit. Instead of a highlight of wrestling, it's just him like shouting at yeah. Big Ron Stud. <laughs> yeah. And Big Ron Stud, like being this big dumb idiot, is just standing there taking it. But the fans are definitely fired up for this match as the two Canucks exchange slaps with Benoit's dropping Jericho to the mat. A whip sternum first into the turnbuckles, followed by a toss to the mat, has the crowd roaring in favor of the Crippler. And Benoit is relentless, hitting Jericho with a big back body drop and a back suplex each executed with heightened ferocity. As a lackadaisical cover warrants only a two-count, Shivani suggests that Chris Moa wants to suplex you out of your shorts, so Jericho should be safe as he's wearing pants. After a spinebuster, Benoit slowly turns Chris Jericho over into what is essentially the lion tamer. And, yeah, yeah, it yeah. was weird seeing it happen to Jericho in, in his <laughs> pay-per-view debut. Right, and as we mentioned before, and is the tradition of WCW, 
Chris Benoit releases a hold for no real reason. Yep. Benoit then screams, It's over, Jericho! As he attempts a powerbomb, but Jericho floats over with a sunset flip for two. He then hits Benoit with a back heel kick for another two count. Benoit tries to rally back with some kicks to the gut, but Jericho catches one and counters with a dragon screw leg whip, which was a nice because they just like the counter immediately to the dragon screw. It just looked really, really good. Yeah, crisp, crisp, crisp Benoit, <laughs> crisp Jericho, the crispler, <laughs> the, the Canadian, Canadian crispler, crispler. <laughs> <laughs> There's some awkward back-and-forth action as the two suddenly lose a little bit of chemistry with each other. But Jericho writes the ship by hitting his vintage springboard dropkick to Benoit on the apron. And as soon as I say that, Jericho trips up on another turnbuckle springboard, causing him to come crashing down onto both Benoit and the ring apron in a botch that could have been far more disastrous than it was. Sure. It looked terrible. Yeah. Uh, Jericho, for his credit, like he doesn't miss a beat. He returns his adversary to the ring where he hits a, a missile drop kick from the top rope for a two count. I don't know if he realizes he has to make up for it, but like he gets a crazy amount of air on the missile drop kick. So he's like, I have to execute this 150% to make up for that. A double underhook suplex does not get a pin as Benoit's feet were on the ropes. Back on their feet, Benoit and Jericho unload with chops and punches until Jericho drops Benoit with a spin wheel kick. By the way, these two... I don't know if it's like uh, a Canadian or it's like a new Japan thing, but they are going all out with their chops on each other. Oh, too. Sure. It's like, yeah, we both chop, but I'm going to test you pretty much. Jericho tosses Benoit to the ring apron, but the crippler counters with a back suplex that he uses to drop Jericho all the way down to the arena floor. Back into the ring as Benoit has resumed full control of the matchup while screaming, come on, Jericho, you want to be famous? Which is something I kind of liked. Yeah. Especially since it's like Jericho ends up being a really, really famous wrestler. Also, I think Jericho really, really wants to be famous. <laughs> yes. Like He's like, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, please. <laughs> Another war of chops breaks out, which Benoit quells with a rake to the eyes. We then get an abdominal stretch by Benoit, which gives us a great moment of someone else screaming, ask him to a referee in a Chris Jericho match. Jericho finally escapes with an arm drag. A body slam with authority sets up Benoit for a flying headbutt, which he basically lands as a splash instead because Jericho is like a little over halfway across the ring. Right. And I think Benoit overcompensates, which, you know what, if he's landing as a splash, that's probably better for him anyway. Sure. So. <laughs> yeah. However, Benoit is slow to cover, which gives Jericho the rest he needed to kick out. Benoit then throws Jericho out of the ring for what it seems like frustration. Both are quickly back into the ring where Jericho catches Benoit with a backslide for a two count. A rear chin lock by Benoit as the announcers talk about like some dated reference or something. I didn't really catch it, but they're, it's a moment where they're just like they're not paying attention to the match now. Yeah. Benoit backs Jericho in the corner and he just drills him with chops. This is like it's just letting loose. Yeah. Uh, we get some back and forth that eventually leads to Jericho hitting a Northern Lights suplex for a two count. Now it's Jericho's turn to lay into Benoit with chops in the corner. Benoit picks up Jericho for a tombstone pile driver, which is what Tony Schiavone calls it, but Jericho reverses it into one of his own. Instead of going for the cover, though, Jericho comes off the ropes for a line salt, but Benoit manages to roll out of harm's way. 
Undeterred, Jericho lets out a primal scream as he levels Benoit with the clothesline for two. As he sets up Benoit for a top rope herd Karana, Dusty Rhodes makes the prediction that Chris Jericho is going to be a major star. Yes, here in WCW, not so much. Said her Karana only gets a two count. A couple of countered Irish whips gets Jericho to leap off the top turnbuckle for a moonsault, but Benoit pushes Lionheart, uh, causing him to get crotch on the top. Benoit then follows up with a back superplex for the three count. Just like that. <laughs> Just, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> what did you think of the match? I thought it was really good. I thought I liked the I liked the intensity of it. Yeah. Um. I thought I thought it was like playing out a pretty good story of because uh, Benoit is the intense wrestler, right? And I think that he was he didn't like the idea of being challenged with his int- intensity, right? Especially from another Canadian. I thought this was the best uh, showcase of Jericho so far. Oh um, yeah, easily. And uh, the, interestingly I, enough. Uh, it, they got in a little, not trouble, but they got a little bit of heat from that. They were told, uh, this is according to Chris Jericho's book anyway, mm-hmm. they were told to go 80-20 uh, for Benoit on offense, oh. but they split it up to be more close to 50-50 because mm-hmm. they're, they're two very good friends, uh, and Sullivan was pissy with them after the match over. Like, nobody higher up than Sullivan gave a shit, right? Uh, but they were like, yeah, you know, we got brought in, Bischoff promised that Jericho was going to look good and all this stuff, and... Instead, he's been doing kind of like some bullshit mm-hmm. uh, so far. So they wanted to at least, if he was losing, make sure to give him something. Right. And uh, and yeah, they got a little bit of a slap on the wrist <laughs> just for doing that. <laughs> right. Which sucks because this was a great match. I I really like this match. I thought it was very solid. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was definitely a good match, and and just it's insane to think of these guys coming to the back and uh, little baby legs, Kevin Sullivan. You know, <laughs> no. yeah, why'd you get <laughs> right? Um, I just, I just keep thinking of that, that, that slip of Jericho where he falls out of the ring and just being like, that could have been so disastrous for him. But, uh, there's also like this weird trend with Benoit where he, like, he's finishing people with like any sort of move off the top rope. Right. Like he had that top rope suplex off the table to win his false count anywhere match. Yeah. Um, and then you beat some with a side suplex, which it looked it looked really good too. Like he he nails him with it, but it's just like it's kind of just kind of an odd way for the match to end. Uh, speaking of odd, something that Tony said during the match caught my ear. He says that there was obviously another man in the limo with Sting uh, back on Monday when mm. Sting was talking to DiBiase. Uh huh. Now I don't know where he's getting that from because Sting jumped out of the limo, uh, kicked Luger's ass for a bit, and then eventually like ran off in another limo. Uh, with the NWO, and by the time that Luger got into the limo, there was only, like, a box with a spray paint can in it. Yeah, but who was in that box? <laughs> <laughs> there was, like, we saw the inside of the limo. There was yeah. no one in there. Yeah. And so now he's saying, obviously, there was someone in there with him. No, there wasn't. Right. I don't know. I don't know if that's going to come to play later or not. Uh, I know tomorrow night at Nitro, we're going to get a new NWO member. Spoiler alert. But what? I don't think it's, like, the results of it. it it's very stupid. I don't know if that's just Tony going into not going into business for himself, but just trying to like make up something or forget the way the story was working or what. But it made no sense. After the match, Bobby takes us through the replays, and right after, Penzer once again uh, is out there like immediately. They're they're flying through these early matches, mm-hmm. and he introduces Super Colo, the challenger for Ray Mysterio Junior.'s cruiserweight title. 
Tanae rejoins the broadcast team, but his mic isn't on, so we miss whatever he says. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby covers by jumping in with a super callow, fragilistic joke. Yeah. Yep. Uh, which even Dusty was like, yeah, I knew you were going to say that at some <laughs> right. point. Yes. Mysterio is out next, and he has words said to the camera for one Dean Malenko, as I guess he's already looking past Callow and instead focusing on his mortal enemy in the feud that will never die. Oh, poor Super Callow. Tanae says this is the biggest match of Callow's four-year career, and tells us that unlike some of the other AAA guys that we have seen on Nitro who have tasted international success, this is Callow's first real big match outside of Mexico. Here to call all the Cruiserweight Championship action is our own Cruiserweight, Dave Amantorp. Okay, well, you mentioned it before as far as a handshake is concerned, because these two also start off with a handshake. Sportsmanship. And a collar double tie-up, which Mysterio turns into an arm drag that sends Super Calo to the outside. Back in the ring, we get a second collar and elbow tie-up, and this time Super Calo turns it into an arm drag to the mat, which then he holds on for an arm bar. The two men counter... <clears throat> The two men counter wrist locks, but Super Calo gains the advantage with a whip to the turnbuckle, followed by a power slam. The fans are not really into this match yet, and I think it's because the previous match's intensity kind of like drained them a little bit. Because yeah. they're just they're kind of sitting on their hands right now. They also got uh like a little bit of lucha stuff earlier. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's a style that's new to the I, I I'm not like, you could have an entire Lucha show in Mexico City, and the whole thing is awesome from front to back. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I think it's just this crowd isn't really used to Lucha or matches. They already had, like, a 15-minute one just, like, two matches ago. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's like, oh, like, more. Like, uh, they need they need to see some reason to get invested in this match before they're, like, willing to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. A second rope elbow drop gets the challenger a two-count only. Well, as Super Calo works on Mysterio's arm, Tim, that is it for our first half. Woo! Now to perform our halftime show, here is the band Calo with their hit song, Dangerous. <laughs> Yo, people throwing dirt up on my name. On my name, yeah. Spreading man, I'm all up on a different shit, yeah, yeah. 17, but soon I have the fame. Get the fame, yeah. Yeah, I'm gifted, don't like it, just deal with it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Number one hey. rule. Never tell you secrets Better hide your blueprints like it's gold Trust me, I've been doing this for a really long time Better have a car by ready for em. I just want a Lambo I just want a Rari Whip it like it's NASCAR Speed it up That's why I never play fair I just call the team quick Don't load a full clip Nothing new Oh yeah, the way you move that body I know you trying to tell me something Oh yeah, I wanna see you Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so there's the that's the uh, Mexican uh, rock, rap, hip hop. I don't know. The Mexican group mm-hmm. that Kolo, uh, Super Kolo takes his name from. Yep. And as Mike Tanay explains is that uh, there was a ceremony one time in which Kolo, the band, officially like allowed him to use the name Super Kolo. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And then <laughs> just if you think about it, it's just a corny way to have like a wrestler yeah. If it's just like, yeah, I'm just named after a band and I made my own outfit that just says Kello on it. Yeah. Like, I'm a super fan. And it's got CDs on it because <laughs> they're a band. Because they, they make CDs. Get it? 
Anyway, back from our intermission, and we get more back and forth from the High Flyers. That brings us to a Mysterio springboard into the ring for her Karana, which sends Super Kalo to the ringside. Mysterio goes for a somersault senton to the outside, but he puts on the brakes and spins between the ropes a la 619 style instead. And at this point, I believe Dusty Rhodes makes an, an exclamation of sorts. Oh, <laughs> thanks for prompting me. <laughs> like you knew that, it, well, we talked about it while we were having dinner earlier. But right. Yeah, uh, this, is, <laughs> this is when Dusty treats us to the call of, well, lordy dordy, boola, boola, boola. <laughs> And then there's no follow-up. He doesn't and say it, anything else. And it's not challenged whatsoever. Yeah, nobody says anything to him. Nobody even, like, <laughs> teases him about it. They're just like, look, Dusty's going to do stuff like that. You just yep. got to let it go. Boola, boola, boola. Indeed. A reinvigorated Kalo returns to the ring and drop kicks Mysterio, followed by a thunderous powerbomb that nearly nets him the cruiserweight title. After a top rope shoulder tackle, Super Kalo clotheslines Mysterio to the arena floor, which gets an over-the-top reaction from a ringside fan. <laughs> there's a, a Mysterio falls to the um, to the arena floor, and there's yeah. a guy at ringside that's like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> and like the camera's so close, you see him like reaching out, like, "Why, Mysterio?" <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. Super Kolo with a reckless-looking missile dropkick from the top rope to the arena floor. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. it's That looked particularly dangerous. He Because he lands, um, his feet hit one of the mats at ringside, mm -hmm. and because he's moving, it, like, it slides the two of the mats apart. Mm -hmm. And so the first part of his body, other than his feet, that makes contact with his, the ground is his hip, and it hits right where the cement is that's yeah. between the two gym mats that he has slid apart mm -hmm. so unfortunately he makes himself like the hardest spot for him to land and it's right on his hip yeah um and i w I, w I had mentioned it before but at this point definitely it's like super Kolo is already the worst for wear this match like, oh yeah he is starting to get up slowly and just like he's kind of weak at the knees already yeah he uh, Super Kolo then body slams Mysterio onto the blue man and then returns to the ring so he can hit a slingshot senton to the arena floor. At this rate, Super Kolo will be dead by 30. I also would like to note that as of July 2018, Super Kolo is still alive. Yeah, good for him. I think he's retired. I'm, I was actually just looking to see when his last match was. I think I think I read he had like a return match like this year. Or oh, something wow. Like that. Good for but, him. But no, he's not dead. That's all I know. Oh, sure. Yes, he's yeah. definitely not dead. Yes. He rolls the champion into the ring and gets a couple of two counts only. Super Kolo casually throws Mysterio to the other ring, which, as I said before, is an element I've liked so far on this pay-per-view. And this is the point where Tony Schiavone wonders, if they go to the other ring, are they going to start getting counted oh, out? sure. Even though they've done that in the other matches. Right. Other years that he's called this event. <laughs> right. God, Tony. <laughs> In the second ring, Kolo places Mysterio on the top turnbuckle and hits, a, and hits a springboard head scissors takedown for two. Mysterio rolls back into their original ring to recover, but Super Kolo will have none of it. A body slam and short arm scissors later, and Bobby Heaton points out what I was also thinking. We have had virtually zero offense the last few minutes for Mary Mysterio Jr., and I think that has kind of impacted the fans' enthusiasm for the match. Sure. Uh <laughs> 
Also, during the short arm scissors that you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, Dusty Rhodes claims that one time Pat O'Connor had him in a short arm scissors for 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> what an exciting match that must have been. He, I'm sure he's exaggerating, but right. th- he, he had me in that hold for 30 minutes. That right. sounds terrible. <laughs> Just, we're a minute three. We're a minute 17. <laughs> minute 28. A super close clothesline brings us into a sitting abdominal stretch. Chloe converts the hold into a surfboard in which he lowers Mysterio to the mat for a two count. Mysterio rallies back with a drop kick as Tony Giovanni realizes Super Clo has been wearing skateboarding knee pads. <laughs> yeah, he does bring it up kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, about 10 minutes into the match, he's like, wait a second. 10 minutes out of like the third Clo match he's called personally. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> In which, by the way, he's been wearing all these matches. Yeah. Yeah. Or I guess this would be the second one. I think Clo's other match was on Saturday night, but still. And Tony doesn't watch that. <laughs> Let's hope not. Yeah. A cross body block by Mysterio should have... Oh, Actually, I think he calls Saturday night. Now I think about it. Does he? Yeah. Yeah, he does. He does. So he really should... I think better. he stops eventually, uh, but as of right now, I'm 85% sure that Tony Schiavone and Dusty Rhodes, I believe they're the, the team on Saturday night. Okay. So he should really know better. He should. Yeah. A cross body block by Mysterio should have made both men tumble over the top rope, only Kolo was not quite... Uh, able to make it with the momentum. There's then a weird-ass moment here where Ray tries to assist Cal over the top by pulling on his shirt. Oh, yeah. But referee Randy Anderson holds him back for no obvious reason. Well, I mean, it is against the rules in WCW to throw someone over the top rope. So I guess he's trying to stop the rule from being broken. But then once the rule's broken, he doesn't DQ him or anything. Yeah, but it's also... He pairs it up with his favorite thing, which is to get on the ring ropes. <laughs> Randy Anderson does love to be on the ring ropes. Yeah, so then he's, like, trying to pull him back, and then I think he realizes what Mysterio's doing, but he doesn't want to look like he's trying to pull him over the top rope. It's just bizarre. So eventually he just makes it look like he falls, and then Kolo yeah. falls over. Yeah. So either way, Kolo finally goes over the top rope, which finally sets Mysterio to hit his uh, somersault senton to the floor. After tossing Super Clo back into the ring, Rey Mysterio Jr. goes for a slingshot Hercarana, but is caught with a dropkick to the gut. We get more wrist locks from the challenger before he throws Mysterio shoulder first into the corner. Both men head to the second ring, only to see Super Clo return to his wrist lock heavy offense. A whip into the barricades on the outside, and then the two return back to the ring. Just when this match was threatening to lull me to sleep, Rey Mysterio hits a springboard Hurricanrana off the ring apron to the arena floor, which was pretty awesome and also woke up the crowd a little bit. Now Mysterio has all the momentum, hitting a drop kick to keep Super Kolo out of the ring long enough to follow with a somersault senton that he does while jumping off the top rope instead of holding it for leverage. Yeah. So, And that looks obviously really awesome too. Back in the ring, Mysterio with a flurry of pinfall attempts, but Kolo catches him with an electric chair drop. With Ray on the apron between the two rings, Super Kolo comes off the ropes and tries for a drop kick, but only catches top rope, driving his own head to the mat. What then Ray Mysterio does is one of the most impressive sequences I have ever seen. He springboard backflips over the ring, over into the second ring, 
then springboards off both ring ropes before hitting his Huracurana roll-up for the pinfall victory. Yeah. It, it was awesome. <laughs> and to me, even though the match, there were some slow points, it was worth it for that ending. And the fans were like, there was no way they couldn't react to that. That yeah. was that was pretty awesome. I agree. That was great. But, uh, yeah, I think I feel like there were some slow points this match, especially when they have Super Kello, like, uh, way too much time on offense. But um, I thought overall this was a really exciting match. Um, like a lot of great moments. And Super Kolo almost murdering himself like for that missile drop kick. And um, yeah, I thought it was a lot more entertaining than I had expected it to be because I, I didn't remember Super Kolo being very particularly interesting in the yeah, ring. Sure. But I thought this was a really good match. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought uh, this was a very good example of a WCW cruiserweight style match as featuring some of the Luchador guys. And yeah, I think Kolo acquitted himself nicely. Certainly. Ray was the star of the show here. No surprise there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this was a really good match. It was about 16 minutes long. It didn't feel too long. Yeah. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. It was a great addition to the show. Not to make fun of uh, uh, Juventud Guerrero or anything, or anything, but like the fact that he had these things he wanted to do with both the rings but wasn't able to pull off. Sure. It was nice that like someone came back and was able to pull off a, a two-ring move like Ray Mysterio did with the, going off both of the ropes and doing the Huracurana. Um, that, that was, that was just really cool. Yeah. I really like that. And, and I know that, um, when I was reading about this, that this match, I think was on Mysterio's first WWE collection too. So, um, obviously WWE agrees that it was a, a good match, like a, uh, yeah, a good early match of his that is, but and then, um, like you were mentioning before, uh, Mysterio does, he goes to the camera and starts talking about Dean Malenko again. So it's like, before I was so really interrupted by Super Cologne. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it seems, I I mean, I think we I think we realize that uh, that's the next pay-per-view matchup is going to be between those two. I would assume, yeah. And um, and I feel like Rey Mysterio, he's, he's progressed a lot since uh, facing Dean Malenko. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Dean Malenko's had a lot of, like, great variety of matches too so i feel like they're going to be like kind of they're going to be a little bit more uh they're just going to be in a different place than they were yeah like yeah they're they have different like uh their different experiences are going to make for maybe a more interesting match which will be great because their matches really were interesting as it were so um but no i like i had said before i mean i didn't really have many like memorable like memories of super close so I was really I was surprised of how good I thought this match was. Bobby goes through the replays and we keep the blistering pace up as the Nasty Boys come out right away to face the tag team champion Harlem Heat, who are out next along with Sister Sherry and Colonel Robert Parker. Sherry is indeed wearing the vest uh, I mentioned earlier that Parker gave her on Nitro, and she has the chaps on as well. Mark Curtis shows off the belts and Tony says that the NWO say that they want their own tag team titles. Uh... I understood it to be tournament. <laughs> right. Now maybe the tournament is for some new titles or maybe Tony's just confused. I don't I don't know. I don't know what that demand is about anymore. <laughs> I'm just more and more convinced that they don't remember what the demands were. I do know we don't need two sets of tag team titles, that's for sure. That's just never really worked well. <laughs> right. They used to have that in the NWA. They'd have the uh 
similar to the world title and the U.S. title. They'd have the U.S. Tag Team Championships and the World Tag Team Championships. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it's just, I don't know. It. I don't really, in New Japan does it still. Like, I don't really love it there. I think one super valid criticism of New Japan is way too many titles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the junior tag team championships are one that you could just do away with and nothing of value would be lost. <laughs> right. Um, I guess it's just because, you know, well, whatever. I'm not going to do a whole thing on New Japan. Yeah. Stevie Ray and Jerry Sag start off with Ray getting the early advantage. Sags fights back with an elbow and a clothesline for two. Sherry gets involved and all parties yell at each other at ringside for a bit, which is fine because it's less time that the Nasty Boys are wrestling. <laughs> the crowd chants for the Nasties as eventually the legal men make their way back into the ring. Nobbs comes in and they clobber Ray a bit before Stevie and Nobbs do some punch kick back and forth until Ray brings in Booker, who at least can hit some cool looking kicks. Nobbs hits one wrestling move, a drop toe hold, and Sags comes back in. A very sparkly Sherry has words for the ref and the camera. Sags gets a neckbreaker for two. Nobbs comes back in for some more bullshit. He hits a clothesline, and Booker does a very nice flip bump, which unfortunately gets him an invite to Pity City. Luckily, Sherry gets on the apron, and the distraction to Curtis and the Nasties allows Stevie Ray to sneak attack before Booker gets up close with Jerry Sags' underarm. Yuck. Sags gets a chair as the Heat double-team Nobbs, but soon he returns to his corner, and Stevie Ray alone dominates Brian Nobbs. Stevie hits a big kick for a two broken up by Jerry Sags. Booker comes in and works a chin lock on Sags, who fights out but ends up on the receiving end of a flying forearm from Booker. T dumps Sags to the outside where Sherry works him over. Nobbs chases her and fails to see Booker come at him with a double axe handle. Eventually, Sherry gets flipped into the ring by Sags, but she quickly escapes and Nobbs and Booker end up in the ring together once more. Booker tries for a pin but only gets a two, so he tags in Stevie Ray, who hits a leg drop, uh, and then brings Booker back in, who comes off the second rope with an axe handle. Booker goes for the Harlem sidekick, but Brian Nobbs ducks, and Booker goes over the top rope. Nobbs manages to get to Sags, who has a very shitty hot tag of bad strikes, a face buster, and a corner splash. He's also pretty blown up, so this very lukewarm tag is also painfully slow. <laughs> Sags rakes Booker's eyes and hits a slam, and then pulls Sherry from the apron into the ring. Booker goes for him, but Sags dodges and rolls up Booker for a two. Sags hits a pile driver, but Stevie Ray makes the save. Nobbs goes for Stevie, and Curtis backs him off. Sags ascends to the top rope, looking for some high-risk offense on the prone Booker T. But Colonel Parker trips him with his cane, as Mark Curtis is still dealing with Brian Nobbs, trying to get him out of the ring. Sags chases Parker and is leveled by a charging Stevie Ray. The announcers get badly confused then, as Sags is the legal man, and he's on the floor outside the ring. Bobby starts off the confusion by saying that the Heat could win by countout this way, but that way they won't win the titles. Whoops. Of course, they're already the champions, which nobody points out. Like, by the end of the conversation, they've kind of figured it out, but nobody's ever said, like, oh, what Bobby said was wrong. Like, I guess no one's feeling that aggressive or something. Yeah. So they kind of clarify it, but it just goes, like, unchallenged for a bit when he says, like, (laughs) oh, no, this would be bad for the Heats, and it just makes no sense. (laughs) The Heat roll sags into the ring where Booker axe kicks him right back out of the ring where Parker and Sherry manhandle him as Nobbs argues again with Mark Curtis. Back in the ring, Stevie is tagged in. He keeps up the offense on sags and yet another distraction spot with Curtis and Nobbs allows Booker to sneak in for a double team. 
Booker is tagged back in and Sags ducks a double clothesline from the heat and manages a desperation double face buster on both men. Just, I, just, I just like how like exhausted you sound just reading this. Oh, I hate this match. Like <laughs> I'm reading it and I'm getting confused and I'm like, I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense. I don't care. Right. <laughs> Full full disclosure is I was not paying attention to this match. <laughs> I, mean, I know I know how it ends. Yeah. I didn't really pay attention during the match, yeah. and it's just like, you know, you talked about like the the first match being kind of like a long nitro match. Yeah, this is a regular nitro match. I mean, I don't love any tag match that just does the whole babyface in peril hot tag thing twice. Yeah, and when your babyfaces in peril are Jerry Sags and Brian Knobs. And then the hot tags are Jerry Sags and Brian Knobs. <laughs> right. Like, yikes. There are some big problems with your match. Especially if, like, the hot tag is to someone that's blown up. Uh, and there's just so much <laughs> Sherry and Parker. And there's so much Knobs mm-hmm. and Mark Curtis fighting so that the heat can fuck around. It's just, it's too much. But we'll we'll talk about that in just a second. Let me just get through the rest of this bullshit. All right. <laughs> Sags hits the hot tag to Knobs, who hits punches and clotheslines and a back body drop before a big splash on Booker. Knobs gets a corner splash on Booker, and the Nasties lay out Stevie with a double shoulder block. They head to a corner where Sags gets a pump handle slam, but right before Knobs can come down on Booker T with a splash, Parker distracts Curtis from the apron. Knobs is pinning Booker while Curtis deals with Parker, and Sherry sneaks in with Parker's cane and hits Knobs in the back of the head. Booker then covers him for the 1-2-3, and this one is mercifully over in uh, 15 and a half minutes. Way too long for, for the nasties to be working, in right. my opinion. Uh, the crowd, I'm going to say the crowd was very much into the nasties. They chanted for him quite a few times the match. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is one of those where I'm willing to say, like, I'm out of step with the audience. Yeah. The audience is eating it up. They even pop huge when Harlem Heat wins, which I don't quite get because they love the Nasty Boys. But the Harlem Heat get a big pit, uh, pop for winning, so they might they just might like watching the big guys brawl. Yeah, I, yeah, whatever it is, uh, this was over with the crowd. So I want to make that clear to anyone who's not going to actually watch the show. Mm-hmm. I hated it. I really yeah. hated it. Um, I did not like. It was just so boring. It was like one of those where I'm sitting there wondering, like, why are we covering the pay-per-views like maybe we should change and just only cover <laughs> like the the matches that have to do with important angles on nitro because uh-huh. i'm just like if i was only watching nitro i'm not gonna see 15 minutes of the nasty boys versus harlem heat right it would have been like four minutes and then there would have been a fuck finish because we're building to the pay-per-view mm-hmm. instead we still have a fuck finish yeah. <laughs> but instead it's a fuck finish after 15 and a half minutes yeah god damn um to me, though, the only highlight is that when Sister Sherry has the cane and she has the opportunity to hit a wrestler, yeah. she just winds back and drills him. She swings that as hard as possible. I disagree. I, now I want to see it again because I felt like my impression watching it was like that was really weak. I thought she did like a theatrical swing and then slowed way down at the end and barely tapped him. Oh, no, because like part of it goes flying off. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I I must have missed it. Uh, uh, someone gif it. Gif it up. Drucifer, get on. Get on the old giffer. Get on. <laughs> get the gifferoonie on. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, for Riffa Ding Dong. For once, we don't go from replays immediately to the next match, as instead, Tony sends us to a little commercial as Ric Flair, the nature boy himself, screams at the viewers <laughs> at home to buy a Fall Brawl t shirt. WCW, what the big boys wear. Hey, this is the Nature Bar! Woo, and we are the horsemen! With the Salem War Games! Style and profile! Wear one of these great t-shirts! Hey, it's Fall Brawl on WCW! Get your very own official Fall Brawl t-shirt for just $19.95. Call 1-800-WCW-8661. WCW, what the big boys wear. Wear the big t-shirt at Fall Brawl! Woo! He, <laughs> I mean, he has as much fire for this as any promo he's ever done. Mm-hmm. Just getting you to buy a Fall Brawl 96 what, t-shirt. Whether he is about to face Hulk Hogan or selling you a t-shirt, <laughs> he has the same, like, 11 out of 10 intensity yeah. with it. Oh, that's how it works when it's powered by substances. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I st- every time I see those backstage uh, segments, I just love how they gimmick up the locker rooms to have the t-shirts hanging and stuff like that yeah like oh this is just uh casual we just we just kind of throw this up here where you can see the wcw logo and everything we then head to the locker room where mike tenay is set to interview the number one contender to hulk hogan's wcw world heavyweight championship the macho man randall savage Isn't it ironic that the man who has been fined and suspended more than any other wrestler in World Championship Wrestling all of a sudden becomes the savior this evening at Fall Brawl? WCW looks to the macho man, Randy Savage. Now you've blamed the Giant for dropping the ball in the past, and your opportunity is next. It's your chance to shift that balance of power away from the New World Order. Stop the music! We gotta take the universe and turn it upside down. Let it happen. Isn't it ironic? Yeah, you're right. Couldn't be more right that I, the evil necessity of the WCW, comes to the plate and guaranteed I'm going to hit a grand slam against the giant. Oh, yeah. Been thinking, thinking, thinking. And the only thing that I can think of is to whoop the giant and bring it all the way to Halloween Havoc and then take you, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, and do what I do best. Rip your black heart out of your chest. Randy Savage, one thing you have to remember, you cannot overlook the Giant. You can't be looking ahead to Halloween Havoc, even though that's your shot at Hulk Hogan in the World's Heavyweight Championship. You might be right about that. You know what? You are right about that. In this moment in time, I'm going to walk down that aisle. And I'm thinking that I'm going to take the Giant and cut him in half, and he may be only 44 feet when I'm done with them. But brother, it's going to be a message to the NWO that the Macho Man and the WCW will not be denied. Here I come. Ooh, yeah! Randy Savage has that opportunity up next when he faces the Giant. Now let's go to the ring and Dave Penzer. By the way, I just have to point out how much I love Savage's bedazzled monday nitro shirt that he's wearing yeah it's pretty great it's awesome and i kind of feel like that should be our our next like uh picture like profile oh sure yeah because it's nitro but uh (laughs) but it's it's it i don't know it's just like i'm like that is really cool because for one thing he he's representing wcw against nwo so it kind of makes sense too yeah i mean because when it comes to randy savage and his outfits making sense usually is not what comes along with it right but 
Um, no, I'm just like, I'm like, this is cool. I want that. <laughs> Randy agrees with the point that Tanae makes, that it's ironic that he, subject of recent suspensions and a lot of like uh, consternation from the WCW higher ups, mm-hmm. is being called on as the one to rescue the organization from the New World Order. He promises to rip out Hogan's black heart from his chest at Halloween Havoc. Any other thoughts on that promo? It looked like you were about to say something. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I was trying to think. He he came up with like a nickname for himself, and I forgot what it was. Uh, me too. Uh, well, the, it's funny because we could try to remember, and everyone else is yelling at us because I've just played an audio clip of it. <laughs> Tanae urges Randy not to look past the giant. Macho promises to use the giant to send a message to the NWO that cannot be denied. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Back in the arena, Penzer introduces Savage. I guess he's, like, running straight from the locker room to the entrance ramp. But that's totally a Savage thing to do. Oh, yeah, actually, yeah. that's pretty believable. <laughs> the giant's old Dungeon of Doom music plays, and the giant comes out, and finally, when he's about a quarter way to the ring, they suddenly switch to the NWO music. Yeah. Like, oh, shit. Isn't he in that other group now? Oh, fuck. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was really goofy. Well, here to call all of the action is our own goofy Dave Amador. <laughs> as the giant tries to rush a ring, Macho Man knocks him back as referee Nick Patrick calls for the opening bell, despite one man being outside of the ring. Oh, well. As Savage keeps knocking Giant off the apron, I can't help but feel like the giant is a member of the NWO in name only. Sure. Nothing about this seems any different for the giant. And I felt like it was kind of a weird emphasis of him coming out to the dungeon music. Yeah. Which I didn't know if that was like a clever thing they were doing or if that was a huge fuck up. I kind of wondered that too. Um, if it was like a, he's from the dungeon, but he's transitioning. Because it wasn't just the music. They had like the dark lights and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Um, so I could... If someone told me that was on purpose, I wouldn't just dismiss it out of hand, Mm -hmm. I guess, would be how I'd phrase it. The giant pulls Savage out of the ring, but Macho Man is quick to unload with punches. He then makes the mistake of trying to body slam the big man on the floor, and splat goes Macho Man. The giant then tosses Savage over the top rope back into the ring. As he presses his 22-5E boot in Macho Man's throat, he says, I'm going to make you disappear which is maybe the creepiest thing I've ever heard in a wrestling ring. Sorry, I got a little excited there. A whip across across the ring is followed by a bone-rattling clothesline from the giant. Owie. The giant... (laughs) Owie. My bones. Oh, no. (laughs) My precious bones. (laughs) (laughs) The giant then picks up Savage for the highest elevation you can possibly get for a backbreaker. During this time, all the fans start looking in the opposite direction at something. And if you watch this, you notice that the giant can't help but look over there as well to see what they're looking at. There's even a point where Bobby Heenan is suggesting that an NWO member is showing up. But it's just, it must have been like someone getting kicked out or whatever. Yeah, sure. As as the giant ragdolls Savage around the ring, Tony Schiavone says, In war, there are no rules, to which I'm sure the Geneva Convention would disagree. The giant then puts Savage in a Boston Crab, which looks as crazy as it sounds. A rope break is followed by a hair, hair, hair bug, bear hug. Uh, no, a hair bug. Oh, he was yeah, I remember the, it was the, a... the mighty hair bug. Oh no, a hair bug! <laughs> Get out! Savage finally gets some offense in the form of an eye rake. 
The Macho Man goes off the top rope for a double axe handle smash, but Giant catches him on his shoulder and slams him to the mat. I feel like this match so far has been one of the better showcases of the Giant's like size and strength. Yeah, sure. Um, because he's been like manhandling what is a particularly formidable opponent. I mean, Macho Man's not a small guy. And, right. And Bobby Hina makes a good point of that. He did um, during the what was definitely a bear hug. Um, that not a hair bug? Not a hair bug. No, because he was like, he's like 240, 245. He's just like holding him like he's nothing. Right. So even though it's still, there's nothing about this that makes me feel like he's an NWO member. It's been a, a like I said, one of his better like offensive showcases. Um, at this point, the giant misses a knee drop, which paints a big target on it. Savage kicks away on the knee, then comes off the top turnbuckle to slam giant's head to the mat. We then get an emphatic kick out by the big man. And then, which this like makes the crowd go ape shit. Yeah. Is when the Macho Man body slams the giant. Yeah. Which at first I was like, I thought only Hulk Hogan was allowed to body slam him. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see what I think uh, why he was allowed to do that here. Okay. 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 Fair enough. Um, as the Macho Man goes up and, and actually he hits the elbow drop. Hollywood Hulk Hogan arrives at the aisle with a chair. Instead of pinning the giant and then going after Hogan, Savage simply falls for the bait and goes after Hogan. As the giant recovers slash distracts Nick Patrick, which I don't know why he has to distract him because it's Nick Patrick, but whatever, Kevin Nash drills Macho Man with a chair as the NWO, the collective trio, puts the boots to him. After another chair shot from Hogan, the trio pick up and drag Savage back to the ring and the Giant covers him for the pinfall victory. Uh, like I said, I thought it was a good showcase of the Giant and his like size and strength. I thought up until the end, Savage looked pretty good too because like, he's always about like the resiliency and, and yeah. coming back. And, and the fact that he body slammed the Giant, it has to be like a pretty sweet highlight too. So Sure. Um, then it was just like a clusterfuck at the end. Yeah, and I didn't like two matches in a row on pay-per-view with screw job screwy finishes mm -hmm. that's kind of bullshit uh I, yeah i thought the match was fine um they definitely tried to give randy some spots um because he is going into the next pay-per-view as the number one contender uh and yet he's taking the loss mm -hmm. um and we'll see later he does not come off very strong let's say we'll talk about it in just a little bit mm -hmm. uh so i think they had to give him the visual victory of the body slam and the elbow drop like but it's against the giant. I feel like the giant could have kicked out of those things and it would not have been against character. Right. Um, but, you know, they did enough to make you think like, oh, maybe he would win. I don't know. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Uh, but I, I thought that um, didn't really do a lot to help Randy, who needs some help right now, quite right. honestly. Um, and I thought this was kind of like weird that the NWO comes out now, especially since like their match is like the next match. Yeah. So it's kind I don't know, it's like feel feel it felt a little anticlimactic seeing yeah. them already. I mean, if that would have happened a little bit earlier and maybe a little bit time between, that would have made more sense, but um no, and just I don't know, it's just something I I I know that like part of the thing about being a heel is even if you don't need to cheat to win, that you do cheat to win. Yeah. But this made it look like the giant needed help to win. Um and I just I don't know. It's it's another one of those matches where it's like you don't really feel like anyone got the benefit of it. I thought it was a pretty good match for what the matchup was up until the end, and then it was just kind of garbage. So. Are you afraid of things? 
things that go bump in the night. Are you afraid of things that fly through the air? Talk about trick or treat. The horror of the season draws near as Slim Jim snaps into WCW's Halloween Havoc. Sunday, October 27th, live and only on pay-per-view. Call your cable or satellite company to order now. All right, well, following that, we get a promo for Halloween Havoc, which made me think of how far we've come in a year, because last year it was, the monster becomes the man. <laughs> right. Uh, but this time it's just sort of Randy Savage talking about various spooky things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love how cheesy the Halloween Havoc stuff can get. It's it's very enjoyable for me. It's the best. And, and what was it? Was it earlier this year where there was that whole thing about WWE wanting to bring back Oh, no, that was like a year ago. About WWE wanted to bring back WCW, like, named things. And yeah. And eventually brought back War Games. And, like, the whole poll, it was like, well, obviously the answer is Halloween Havoc. Right. That's the best one, you know? Yeah, and I think it was, uh, I think Bischoff, if I'm not mistaken, on his podcast said to him, uh, even though Starcade had the legacy of being the quote-unquote WrestleMania yeah. for WCW, he always viewed Halloween Havoc as the biggest event of the year. Yeah. Uh, and I think it comes across that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the set for Halloween Havoc it gets just amazing mm-hmm. as we go on. So, yeah, I'm excited to be heading towards that as our next pay-per-view for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cage for War Games starts lowering down, showering sparks and uh, some pyro shooting off as it gets close to the ground. Yep, it's pretty very, cool. Yep, nice, nice low touch. Uh, but before the match, we go to the locker room where Mike Tanay is joined by Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Lex Luger, Woman, and Miss Elizabeth. We are now just minutes away from the War Games, and decision time is here. Ric Flair, which member of the Four Horsemen has been chosen to replace the departed Sting in the War Games matchup against the New World Order? Tonight, we are in the house, the Horsemen built. Sting or no Sting, it's Luger, it's Double A, and it's an HMR. The horsemen have stepped aside. You hear that, Gene? You hear it? That's the ambulance coming down the highway to get the outsiders. You hear it? That's the medics wheeling in the carts. Very shortly, very shortly, the horsemen kick ass. Woo! The fact is, Luger, you lost a friend, we lost a partner, WCW lost an icon. But the fact of the matter is, if you want something done right in this life, you were a horseman once. We're just going to do it by ourselves. Sting or no sting? Oh, yeah. Wait a second. Wait one second. Start it again, brother. I've been waiting six days for this. I got to hear this, but you better make it short and sweet. All I got is I'll make it real short. All I got to say is it was not me on Monday night. It wasn't me, Lex. Well, I'll tell you what. We got a war games right now. I saw you. I looked you right in the face before you cheap shot at me. And Stinger, I know it was you. I can't believe you. And I don't believe you. If you can't believe me, then so be it. I'll see you in a while. I hope we do. Luger! You're a lean, mean wrestling machine. Tonight, we walk the aisle. It's time for the war games. Let's go to the ring and Michael Buffer. Tanae asks which horseman will replace Sting. 
Flair doesn't answer, instead saying that this is the house the horseman built. He calls Sine Jean either as a joke or because he's totally on autopilot. <laughs> I feel like autopilot. <laughs> <laughs> and asks if he can hear the ambulance coming down the highway to pick up the outsiders. <laughs> he promises that... I guess Arn didn't book ambulances to bring him to the hospital room that he booked. No, no, I mean, his are booked. Oh, okay, yeah. The, the NWOs are still showing up. Yeah, he didn't like book him for his mortal enemy. That makes sense. Right, right. They have to wait for theirs. <laughs> He promises that very shortly the horseman will kick ass. Arn says that Lex was once a horseman, and they're just going to do it themselves without Sting. Uh, I That makes sense without Sting, but why wouldn't you invite Mongo, who is doing nothing, or mm. Benoit, who we know is in the building, yeah. and we know he didn't get like beaten devastatingly? Like He seemed like he could... He could participate. He could help out in this match. I, I mean, I would have thought Mongo, because like, he's such a big guy that... like. They're facing a, the NWO are a bunch of huge guys. Yeah. So having another big guy on your side would have been would have made sense. There is no attempt, like anything resembling an attempt at an explanation as to why they would go into war games willingly a man down. Right. That's stupid. Mm-hmm. I guess the only thing is that they need the fourth spot to be a question mark so that when what happens happens. We're not wondering if it's legal or something because like, oh, they said it was Mongo. So is. Yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll get there later. But it just it makes no sense logically that they wouldn't have picked a fourth person. It's stupid. Suddenly Sting shows up. Lex says that he's been waiting six days for this. I I don't know. He couldn't call or anything like he last time we saw him, he was racing off to Sting's gym to confront him. I was about to say, like, don't they have a gym together? (laughs) Like, it seems like. They've, I mean, they've driven in, like, police cars together. Yeah. Like, they, it seems like they could make contact in those six days. Now, I didn't watch Saturday night, so maybe there was an explanation on Saturday night that, like, a, a promo with Lex saying he's been doing everything he can and he just hasn't been able to find Stinger. He was about to drive off, but his car got all bashed <laughs> up. Sting says that it wasn't him at Nitro. Lex says that he looked him in the face and he knows it was him. He flat out says that he doesn't believe Sting. Yikes. Sting says, so be it, and promises to see Lex in a little while. That whole th- segment doesn't make any sense. No. it's I mean, it's like um, it's like when you're watching a movie you like, but like, there's a major plot hole. Sure. And you just want to ignore it, but you but you, in the back of your mind, you're like, like, where was Sting these six days? Right. Considering what happens, where was he? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Flair tries to pump up Luger's ego a bit, and they go to walk that aisle, and we go to the ring, and Michael Buffer. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to WCW 1996 Fall Brawl War Games, an event like no other in the world. I have here the official rules for War Games. There are seven periods in War Games. The first period lasts five minutes. All other periods are two minutes. One man from each team enters during the first period. With one minute remaining in the first period, the head referee flips a coin. The winner of the toss sends in a second man. After period two ends, the other team sends its second man, making it two on two. After period three, the coin flip winner sends their third man. The teams alternate during the remaining periods until all eight men are in. There are no pinfalls, countouts, or disqualifications. Victory is achieved 
by surrender or submission. Official time is kept at ringside. The head referee has final say in war games. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here are the names of the combatants from the two teams. First, from the New World Order, there are four men. The NWO has released only three names. One is to remain unknown until his entrance. Our three known participants are, for the NWO, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and the man who turned his back on the WCW, the reigning heavyweight champion of the world, Hollywood, Hulk Hogan. And representing the WCW, at this time there are only three. It's not known if there is or will even be a fourth team member. Your three WCW team members are Arn Anderson, Lex Luger, and from North Carolina, the 13th time heavyweight champion of the world, the nature boy, Ric Flair. And now, are you ready for war games? Winston-Salem, North Carolina, are you ready? For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, let the games begin. Ladies and gentlemen, Buffer has a massive sheet of rules for this match. Yeah. It's so much scrawled out on a piece of paper here. Yeah, I just I tweeted a picture of that. Yeah, you did. Yesterday, because I liked it, because Tony Schiavone said there were no rules in war. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's so many But apparently, there's a fuckload of rules. Yeah, this is the Geneva Convention here. <laughs> they, they called in. They're like, listen, if you're going to have war, you're going to have to establish the rules. This reminded me of when Finkel used to go over the uh, rules for the Royal Rumble. Yeah. And the announcers would just heckle him the whole time. It reminded me of that, except for everyone's treating it deadly seriously as he goes through yeah. so many rules. Oh, yeah. Like the there's like a couple rumbles where Jerry Lawler would just be like, oh, get on with it, Finkel. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. We know. We know the rules. <laughs> we know how this works. This is like the 20th one. We know how this works. <laughs> Uh, he then announces each team, saying that the NWO has only released three of their names, saving one for his entrance. Of course, the announced team is Hall, Nash, and Hogan. Buffer then says for WCW, there are only three men, and it is not known if there will be a fourth. Hmm. Luger and Arn get a reaction as they're introduced and f or announced. They're not actually introduced. Everyone stays backstage. Mm -hmm. And Flair gets a much bigger pop when they announce him. Yeah. Now, we mentioned earlier that normally the teams are at cage side uh, for all of War Games. That would kind of ruin the suspense with this one because we're meant to wonder what's happening with Sting, and etc. So the explanation they give is that these teams hate each other so much that they're having to be separated backstage. Right. Uh, and the coin flip is going to be backstage as well. Like, there's just too much animosity, too much bad blood boiling 
So everything is being done backstage, and we are only seeing the guys as they come down uh, at the beginning of their yeah. respective periods. I feel, I really feel like I should go and watch some of the other War Games matches. Yeah, watch the '92 one. It's 92. really good. Yeah, yeah, because I'm just I'm just curious as far as like if all the wrestlers are at ringside, what's preventing them from just fighting outside of the ring? Uh, decorum. Oh, okay. Civility. <laughs> Hashtag civility. <laughs> nice. No one's kicking them out of a restaurant. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, first out for the NWO is Scott Hall, accompanied by Ted DiBiase. Uh, DiBiase has a can of spray paint, so I guess that's like the uh, checkoff spray paint. You know, we, we right. figure that's going to yep. play in here somewhere. By, by the way, if I... Going to this match, if I was going to predict the order of entrance, yeah, I would have nailed it. Like, really, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there, I, there are no surprises here, I, right? I, I think it's. I felt like it's fairly obvious. That it's like okay, like the like the two kind of workmen, yeah, guys started off, and then we get, yeah, it just pretty predictable. Arn Anderson is the first WCW entrant, and he makes his way to the cage. Now, the door is adjacent to the right of the two rings, using the view from the hard cam. So Hall makes his way in and then walks over to the ring on the left. This smartly forces Arn to follow him and come through two sets of ropes, which makes him vulnerable so Scott Hall can attack him cheaply mm -hmm. to start the match. Yeah. Eh, smart move. Mm -hmm. Now, he, of course, may have figured that out because this is Scott Hall's second War Games match. What? Yeah, his first happened just five years earlier and only 30 miles away at a WCW house show in Greensboro. Uh, so it was, this is one of those where there was like the Wrestle War pay-per-view oh, um, yeah. with a War Games match, and then they did a tour, and one of the nights, like one of the normal heels, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was an injury or he had another date or what, um, but uh, whatever heel was normally part of the match was not on that night, and they subbed in the Diamond Stud mm -hmm. in his place. So Hall has been in exactly one War Games match before. And this and this was back when he looked like Magnum TA. Well, this was ninety one. So, no, the Diamond Stud. I don't think that was like big, big Scott Hall or whatever they called him in the AWA. Okay. Uh, now this is Arn Anderson's nineteenth War Games match. <laughs> the most of any participant, as Sting and Luger both have eighteen, Flair has sixteen, Hulk Hogan has one, and Kevin Nash has zero. And did they say something about how Arn Anderson's always been first? Maybe uh, like, or maybe when he's in one, he's typically first. I mean, that would make sense. Yeah, uh, I didn't catch that though. If if they said that, Hall lays in with punches, but Arn fights back with some fire and punches of his own. Uh, he gets fired up. He doesn't like fight back with literal fire. That'd be amazing. Though. That would be, that would be cool. Yeah. He shoves Hall's head into the cage and then kicks him in the gut. They go back and forth with punches, strikes, clotheslines, etc. Hall throws the back of Arn's head into the cage a few times, and he collapses. And Tony points out that the ref inside the cage for this one is, of course, Nick Patrick. Yep. Funny how both NWO matches he's prominently placed. Mm-hmm. Funny. Arn begins to work on the knee of Scott Hall, and Dusty and Brain say it's smart to try and incapacitate Hall now so that he's useless to the NWO in all the subsequent periods. Hall chokes Arn with his boot, and Nick Patrick loudly asks Arn if he gives up and says that he can stop the match right now. But per the rules of war games... He can't until all eight men have entered the ring. Right. <laughs> I assume Patrick just fucked up there. Yeah. Uh, the announcers do a good job of, like, trying to emphasize that it's Patrick's shadiness. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe he's just trying to confuse Arn or something. You know, they yeah. they they try to make something out of it, at yeah. least. 
I feel like nowadays Michael Cole would just like have a giggle fit and say that the ref is an idiot and like yeah. point out how stupid he was, you right. know what I mean? Instead of just trying to find a way to make it make sense. Mm-hmm. And then you would just remember the match for like, oh, Cole was just being a dick the whole time. <laughs> yep. Arn gets Hall in a sleeper after about the three minute mark. He works it for nearly a full minute until Hall escapes with a side suplex. Tony says that the coin flip is going to happen in the back. And Arn Anderson gets a spine buster as Tony says that the NWO has won the coin toss. Shocker, I know. Right. Well, right before then, he said that there's some confusion as far as where the coin toss is going to be because I guess in the previous ones, you would that's live. Like you yeah, it would live. be at the, there is a ref outside the cage who would flip a coin and mm-hmm. like each team's captain would kind of be there watching. Okay. There was like a good one in the 92 one, I remember, because... Paul E was like kind of a corporate guy was his sort of act. Yeah. So he had like this elaborate like flow chart. Like if the other team wins and they send in this guy, then we've got this exact counter. Like oh, he sure. thought of all the angles. Yeah. You know, it was pretty cool. Arn Anderson works a single leg Boston crab as the time expires on the initial five minute period. And here comes Kevin Nash. Nash actually runs down to the ring, something he's not particularly well known for. <laughs> he normally saunters even when like he's supposed to be running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he he wasn't really like a guy that ran into Royal Rumbles or anything like yeah. that. But but this time he's like, hold on here. Well, I think his knees get more and more messed up as time goes on, so it's probably part <laughs> of it. Arn briefly handles both outsiders all by himself, but then Hall gets him in a waist lock and Nash nails him with a big boot. The Outsiders go to work on the Enforcer, whipping him into the cage head first. Nash drops Arn on the top turnbuckle as we get halfway through this two-minute period. Uh, and the, I should specify, Penzer announces, like, we're at X number of minutes. Yeah. So it's always very clear kind of how far you are from the next guy coming in, etc. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, I think it's good for the fans because they don't have, like, a countdown or anything right. like yep. on the screen. But also I imagine it's it's easy to pace the match for wrestlers, too. Nash and Hall work over Arn with punches and kicks until Luger trots out and gets into the cage, despite the clock showing 15 full seconds left. Yeah. Uh, there's no penalty for this. They just kind of let it go, and the announcers are like, well, it's war. <laughs> I'm going to allow this. <laughs> I'm going to allow this. Luger hits the outsiders with the double clothesline before throwing each man into the cage. Oh, he- yeah, and the fans are going nuts. Yeah, they at, love it. At this point, yeah. Luger's over. He clotheslines Nash, then Hall, and is fired up. Lex gets Nash with a flying forearm and then hits another for Hall. He's fired up again, but the crowd is less enthused than last time. Right. Like, he we- did the one the, the, a move for this guy, the same move for that guy, and then I pose. Mm-hmm. And then I do a move to this guy, and then the same move to that guy, and then I pose. And the crowd's like, oh, oh yay. Yeah, we got it. You're fired up. <laughs> Point, points been made. Luger picks up Scott Hall and runs his head into a couple sides of the cage, and it looks like he actually bent one section a decent amount. It doesn't seem very difficult because yeah. this is a pretty flimsy cage going on here. And also, the roof is very low. Yeah. And I feel like that uh, Kevin Nash is a little self-conscious of it because he's almost like touching it. Yeah. That's how short this this roof is. And you'll see it later when he is trying to powerbomb someone that like the roof basically gets in the way. Sure. Arn and Nash pair off, as do Lex and Hall, as we get down to one minute before the NWO can add a man. It's all brawling for the first 30 seconds of that remaining minute, and then dual rest holds for 15 seconds, and then more brawling. And then out comes Hollywood Hulk Hogan, the WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Hogan gets double-teamed by Arn and Lex for a moment as the Outsiders recuperate. 
Soon the numbers game comes into play, though, and Nash and Hall work over Lex in the right ring as Hogan slams Arn in the left ring and drops a few elbows before laying in a choke. A We Want Flair chant starts up as Arn gets some offense on Hogan, and Dave Penzer announces that we're one minute into the period. The NWO takes firm control with all men in the left ring. Hall works over Lex, and Hogan drops the leg on Arn. The Nature Boy comes out to a nice pop from the North Carolina faithful. Everyone is in the ring on the left, so Flair stays in the ring on the right, doing some strutting and taunting, demanding that Hogan come face him. Hogan comes to meet Flair, and they both pose and taunt at each other. Hogan gets the first punch, but the crowd comes unglued as Flair responds with punches of his own and begins to get the better of the Hulkster. Is this is this where they they tear his shirt, like Hogan's shirt? I think so. Yeah, because his his shirt gets tor- not by him, but by someone else tears it. Yeah, and then it kind of like hangs around his waist for the rest of the match, which is like it it's weird. Yeah, Nash comes to help the Hulkster, but Flair surprises him with a low blow. Hulk sneaks up behind the Nature Boy, and Flair catches him with the mule kick low blow. The NWO are hurting, and the Horseman fans are loving it. And that that like little sequence there is awesome too. Yeah, because, like it's very cool because like he is like intense, and Flair intense with like the fans being with him intense yeah. is like it's just like electric, you know? Yeah, because he like I like it when he has like that just like viciously angry look in his face. Sure, yeah. Um, and his angry strutting too. <laughs> He's got an angry strut. Flair puts Hogan in the figure four as Arn and Lex handle the outsiders. A solid minute passes before the final NWO entrant comes out. We don't see a shot of him coming through the curtain or anything. We just hear boos, and Shivani sadly declares, it's Sting. Wait, are you, so you're saying the timer was like a little long? No, no, no. Okay. No, I, I, the thing that was long was that Flair had Hogan in a, in a figure four for over a minute. Oh. <laughs> I, I was saying that was long. <laughs> that, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a while. <laughs> We cut to Stinger coming down the aisle, and the production team does, I think, a good job of mostly not showing his face mm-hmm. without seeming like they're not showing his face. Yeah. Like, you do technically see it for a second, mm-hmm. but then he turns to, like, head into the cage, and it just, they did a good job of not showing him all that close up without making a big deal of not, like, of making it just, yeah. oh, that's weird, why aren't they showing his face? It never felt like that to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was, like, um, the sort of thing where it's like, okay, we, we're going to plan that when guys come out, we're always showing their back. Cause they, they were doing that for like some of the guys like Luger, they showed like him from the, from behind. So yeah. it kind of made, it was like a, a shot they've already done and they'd use that in order to kind of like protect the, the, uh, protect the, the stings face sort of thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know what I mean? The announce team is still unsure if WCW has another member in the match or not, but we're going to find out in two minutes, I guess. Sting enters the match and hits Lex with a face buster, doing a very good facsimile of the real deal's offense. Uh, I don't know a way of discussing that. Like, I could go completely kayfabe, but, like, it's fake Sting. It's not really Sting. Right. So I'm just going to talk about that openly. Uh, yeah. he, he does a good job of hitting Sting a Sting-style mm-hmm. face buster. He then does much worse, though, with the Sting, uh, like, cupping the mouth and going, woo! Yeah. He does not sound anything like Sting when he does it. It's terrible. (laughs) And then he does the chest pound that Sting does. Yeah. But, like, Sting would never do it in that situation. Mm -hmm. So, like, that seemed like you're starting to be like, oh, this is clearly not Sting. 
Or, and, uh, the or it's cr- like, like, listen, I practice all these things. Yeah. I, I need to get these out as soon yeah, as possible. Exactly. The crowd themselves are not convinced as they chant, we want Sting, mm-hmm. which makes the announcers who 100% believe that this is Sting <laughs> right. look like real fucking idiots. <laughs> Plus, the like Lex Luger, who is in there seeing this guy in full light for the first time, shouldn't he be like, Oh, fuck. I've made a huge mistake. That's not my best friend. <laughs> really? It's just... Oh, I mean, boy. it's like, obviously they're waiting for like the next entry for the payoff right. here, but... Well, yeah, wouldn't you think Luger would be like, that is clearly not the person I've known for like <laughs> half of my life. We own a gym together. We're business partners. Right. Unless, oh, unless face paint just really throws them off. <laughs> We see a bit of Hogan working over Flair, but mostly we stick to wide shots so that we never see Sting all up close. Mm-hmm. Hogan scoop slams Flair in the middle of the ring and drops the leg. Sting hits some stinger splashes on all of the baby faces, and we count down to the last WCW entrant. That's him. 15 seconds remain. A stinger splashing everybody. 10. Who can this be? Nine, Who can this be? Eight, seven, seven. Here we go, guys. Six, five. Four. Three, two, one. What the? That, it's Sting. That is Sting. That is Sting. Oh, yes. Get on him, baby. He was telling the truth. We've got two Stings. Oh, yes. He was telling the truth. Okay, now clean house. Go to work. Get the nature boy. Get the enforcer. Get moving. Start kicking some butt. Come on, Sting. Come on, Luger! Take Hogan out! Concentrate on Hogan! Don't worry that much about the other guys! Concentrate on Hogan! He's the one we've got to stop! And stop now! There he is! There yes. it is! Stinger Splash! Yes. Oh, he's got them both! No question the elevation of those Stinger Splashes! That is Sting! No, that is Sting! But wait a minute, he's the only one fighting here! He is doing it single-handedly! Sting, single-handedly! He laid him out! You bet. He has taken the NWO to the water trough. He's done it all by himself. Can you imagine? And they didn't trust him. They didn't trust him. Well, you look at this now, confrontation. Sting just had words with Luger. Is that good enough for you right there? Wow. Is that proof enough? Not now. Not now. He just told him to stick it. He said, is that good enough for you? And he's leaving. He showed him you thought I was a traitor. You thought I was a Benedict Arnold. I said I wasn't. You turned your back on me. Now I want to show you that I can take the NWO by myself, and I don't need you guys anymore. That's the impression I get. Oh, my God. It's Sting. Wait, what? (laughs) The Stinger runs to the ring and immediately confronts the fake Sting with a face buster. Real Sting. I'm just going to say real. If I say Sting, that's real Sting. If I say fake Sting, that's fakes. You know what I mean? Or NWO Sting, because that's what they sure. end up calling them. Yeah, yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah. Sting dominates the NWO, and things are finally looking good for WCW, to the joy of Heenan, Dusty, and Shivani. Sting hits Stinger Splashes on all of the NWO, gets Hall with a face buster, and then uh, faces off with Lex. Everyone is in the left ring, but Sting retreats to the right ring with Lex following him. Is that good enough for you right there? Sting pointedly asks Lex. He makes the international sign for up yours, where you kind of make a fist and like uppercut your own hand on your bicep kind of thing. Yeah. 
It's. I felt like it was a very. It's a very aggressive thing for Sting to do. I agree. Yeah. Which I thought. I thought worked really well because it's like, oh, he's really pissed. You know. Yep. <laughs> oh shit! What have we done? Sting then leaves the cage, walks up the ramp, and washes his hands of the match entirely. Hogan pounces and sneak attacks Luger with a big boot. Follows with a leg drop where he gets like. Uh, that ice train splash earlier, like he gets impressive height on the leg drop. Mm-hmm. Oh man, uh, no wonder that dude's had hip problems. Cause Jesus Christ, every, hip and back problems. Every time I see him take the leg, do the leg drop, I always think about like he his back was so messed up, yeah. And how he's talked about like I just sh- I should have done like something else with like. Uh, I think he said a sleeper hold because he's like, like you I just like, stand there and well, win because he's like I have like the twenty four inch pythons. Right. I should have done a move that was like a bear hug <laughs> yeah. or like a yeah. clothesline for God's sake. But yeah, every time I see it, I just kind of like feel like a phantom like injury in my tailbone. Oh god, yeah. Hogan bites Luger's nose a bit, and we cut back to <laughs> Flair and Hall fighting in the other ring. Hogan gets a back suplex on Lex, and NWO Sting comes in and slaps on the Scorpion Deathlock. Hogan applies a chin lock as Bobby officially christens this sting NWO sting. Oh, he, I didn't even catch that. Yeah, he says something like they're like, well, this sting, because now that they know that it's not the real one, uh-huh. has the, the scorpion death lock. And Bobby's like, well, he's the NWO sting. Yeah. So mm-hmm. from there, we have a name. Nick Patrick and Randy Anderson both check on Luger, who has passed out, which I guess we're going to call submission or retreat. Well, they said knock it. Well, knock out. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to call that. Uh. A win, and the refs call for the bell. The NWO have won this match. Michael Buffer announces the NWO as the winners, and they celebrate briefly before beating up the babyfaces some more. Tony regrets not trusting Sting and wonders what would have happened if they just listened to him. Now, I want to stop for a minute here. Uh, there's a lot more left on the pay-per-view. Uh, or not a lot more, but there's there's a lot kind of post-match left, stuff. yeah. Uh, but before we get to that, what do you think about the match itself? What did you make of the main event there? Uh, I thought it was a good match. I mean, I think for War Games, you kind of have to compare it to, like, a War Games match with, like, all the different rules and stuff they have and how yeah. there's so much wrestling that goes on in which there can't be a decision. I thought it was good. Um, I felt like even though that the, the order of entries was predictable, it's the right way to do it. And I felt like they got the most out of it as far as like reaction and emotion from every entry that you could get. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's still goofy that NWO Sting came out and for like two minutes, no one reacted as though like that's not really him. Yeah. You know, like I I don't know if like the story is supposed to be like we're just supposed to believe that he really looks like Sting. Yeah. I don't know. Like. Nothing else really makes sense other than Lex Luger is really st- like no all three of them are really stupid. Yeah. And oh yeah. Can't even identify Sting when they look at him. So, um, but the way that, and I like the way it plays out with Sting comes in and dominates and they emphasize like look we had them because and because Sting took out the NWO by himself. If we would have trusted him, we would have won this match. And and. I like the idea that, that WCW kind of, instead of blaming Sting, they blame themselves for not trusting him. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I felt like it really played off well. I don't, I mean, the fact that like pretty much the NWO Sting gets the victory 
especially since he's not really an important figure. <laughs> yeah, right. It, he's made to seem important tonight, and for the fact that he's not important whatsoever, yeah, is kind of it's weird in retrospect. But uh, no, I thought I just like I felt like the way it was paced out. I mean, they had the right two guys to start yeah. off, and uh, and I'm just I'm always impressed when like Hogan actually like kind of does like regular ring work, sure, instead of uh, the regular Hogan work. So him being in there and like selling for everyone and and just like being one of the guys in the group, you know, I'm yeah. always, it's it's just like it's a nice change of pace for him. So no, I I I thought for the most part it was a good match. I mean, I th- I think we all knew that the NWO were gonna win because it wasn't like this angle was just gonna end today, right? So um, no, I f- I thought. They had a lot of different like storylines and things like that that they could play off of that kept the match interesting the whole way through. So, um, yeah, I would say, I would say it was really good. Personally, uh, I'm a lot less generous than you with this one. Um, I'm curious what you what you'll say after you see like a really good War Games match like the '92 one. Sure. Because um, I just thought this was really boring. The fact that they couldn't juice kind of hurt it. I think because it it's supposed to be this really um brutal match but like this one's not really allowed to be that brutal um so you know they're throwing each other into the cage but mostly it was just guys punching and kicking mm-hmm. um and i just i found it pretty boring uh up until kind of the intrigue at the end which i thought was was done well enough yeah um but for the most part i i didn't think there was it wasn't terrible but i didn't think it was that special i i do think it breezed by like constantly having these periods expire mm-hmm. um which is just really not like uh especially great about this match is just baked into the the structure of the match itself yeah um i thought that kind of helped it keep moving but overall i did not really enjoy it i guess yeah and it i mean to me it's always weird when we have Ric Flair and we have a steel cage and we don't have blood. Yeah. Because that's just like those things go together right. pretty much. Yeah. So yeah, I do agree that there there should have been like some bleeding, but um Yeah, like you said, I I haven't really I haven't seen any of the other war games, so maybe if I watch older ones or better ones, I'll feel differently about this. Sure. But, but for the most part I thought it was I thought it played off really well, so after the match, the cage is raised and Luger rolls out of the ring and pathetically crawls up the aisle screaming for Sting. This was amazing. He, it's like a, a war movie and he's dying on the field screaming for his best friend who's like dead over the next hill or something. He's just right. Sting! Yeah. It's yeah. way over the top. <laughs> but that's it. But it's Luger. So, of course, yeah. it's way over the top. <laughs> There's then a skirmish in the aisle where Arn and Flair manage to briefly get the upper hand on the NWO. They're suddenly joined by Randy Savage, who comes out of nowhere. Like, he he runs from the direction of the ring. How did he get there instead of out of the entrance ramp? It's, it's very weird. I have no idea where he comes from. Savage runs Hulk back into the ring and starts backing him up as Hulk tries to beg off. Hulk escapes to the other ring, but Macho follows him. The announcers beg Savage to turn around and notice that the giant is sneaking up behind him. <laughs> that sneaky giant. <laughs> <laughs> the giant attacks Randy and Hall and Nash are right behind him. Savage is now trapped in the ring with the entire NWO. Luger, Flair, and Arn are just gone. Who the fuck knows where they went? Well, uh, Luger has now, he's now on his back. Uh, oh, okay. The, I did not see aisle. him. Okay. Because they're playing off that he has a serious back injury. Yeah, okay. In which 
at one point, Bobby Heenan suggests his career's over. Okay. Which is like, yeah, I not, not, don't know about that. But, no, he, he is injured. Uh, Flair and Arn, I have no idea. And, like, Mongo, Benoit, the rest of the WCW locker room, like, yeah. no one comes to help. It's, it, I don't I mean, Randy must be very unpopular, I guess. Well, I mean, if you look at it, it's like, if I'm the next guy running up, I'm still running up and trying to beat Hogan, Nash, Hall, and the Giant by myself. Right. Unless you could, maybe they're trying to recruit other people and other people wouldn't go because it's like, no, I'm not going to go with just two people. We need 10. The Giant choke slams Randy and Elizabeth runs down to the ring. The announcers wonder if she's joining the NWO or what's going yeah, on. She's doing a run in to join the NWO. <laughs> Wait, wait, I forgot to mention, I'm a part of your group now. Instead, the Macho Man's ex-wife pleads with Hogan to lay off Randy, and Hogan threatens her with a spray paint can. Liz covers the prone savage with her own body as a shield, so Hogan decides to spray paint her dress with NWO. Hogan demands a mic, and a Hogan sucks chant starts up. He gets a mic, and right here I checked, and when I saw that there were nine minutes left on the show, I got real bummed out. That was a hard thing to see. Mm-hmm. It, 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 shades of Hog Wild, where the match ended and then just the pay-per-view kept going with the cake yeah. and the booty man. And it was just like, why is this happening? Right. It well, feels, that's one thing that feels very unique to WCW. Like when a WWF pay-per-view ends 99.9% of the time, like the main event ends, that's it. Yeah. Like it's done. And if there's like any kind of intrigue, it happens very quickly and you want to follow it up the next night on Raw. Mm-hmm. These WCW pay-per-views happen to end, and then it's like just some bullshit that's not important. That right. feel, like it's this could have been done just for the live crowd, and you would have been fine. I don't. Mm-hmm. Why am I seeing this? Um, I, I I just wanted to point out that because um, it's only been a couple of months since Hogan's been healed, but he seems a lot more comfortable now in the, in the uh, oh yeah persona. Because like when Ho- like you know at the when he was a face. The Hogan sucks chant bothered him incredibly. Sure, but now he's like he's like keep going, keep going, right. do your thing. Like yeah, he's he's a lot more comfortable with it. So I felt like that was kind of a positive that he is like doing the heel thing a lot better now. Yeah, but this is also just dragging on so long, and the fact that he wrestled like maybe eight or ten minutes and he's pouring sweat. <laughs> Yo, Winston Salem. Wow. You know something? These two losers, these two lowlifes, they made a sacred oath. And they said that they would be together until death do us part. Well, courtesy of the NWO (laughs) and Hollywood Hogan, we're gonna make that happen. Two pieces of trash. Spitting on her, spitting on her. He spits on Elizabeth. This is the lowest point in the history of WCW events. And they've won it, Tony. Hogan calls Liz and Savage losers and lowlifes for making a sacred oath to be together until death, (laughs) but then getting divorced, I guess. (laughs) Hogan says that they're going to kill Liz and Savage to make that oath come true. He doesn't say he's going to kill them. He just says that he's going to make it come true. Yeah, which is like... Yeah, he's saying he's going to murder yeah, them. Yeah, he's going to murder them. Or at least one of them. 
then calls them trash and spits on the back of Liz's head. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, he's very comfortable being a heel now. Right. Which, before he was spitting, spat on the back of her head, yeah. he was just spraying yeah. sweat and stuff <laughs> all over her. So. The NWO poses as trash flies from the crowd. Heenan says that he's done some things in this business that other people weren't proud of, but he never did anything like this. And I love the phrasing of saying that other people weren't proud of. <laughs> right. Like, he's not saying, look, I did some things I'm not proud of. He's like, look, you guys know that some people didn't like the way I did things. I think I did everything perfectly. Right. But, but yeah, he's essentially saying, like, I was a heel, but I never did something this low. Mm-hmm. Randy Anderson tries to shield Liz as the NWO pose on the ropes for the ringside photographer. They aren't done yet, though, as the giant spray paints Savage and Hall boots Macho Man a bit. Giant tells the camera that he's the greatest artist in the world. He then tries to speak more, but Hogan has sensed a live camera not pointed at him, so he quickly butts in, rips off Flair's whether you like it or not line, and then grossly spits on the camera lens. Which was already half-drenched by by the Giant. <laughs> yeah, the Giant does enough spitting just by talking. I He's, he's like... I'm going to be an artist like Michelangelo or like he botches someone's name. I think he tries to say Leonardo da Vinci, but I'm not 100% sure. Whatever it was, I know he said it like really incorrectly. But you're right. Like Hogan, like like a, a heat-seeking missile, yeah. finds the <laughs> camera that's on. Giant chokeslams Savage a second time. Nash throws Randy Anderson to the ground for trying to protect Liz. The Giant and Nash corner Liz menacingly. And then we just cut to the announcers and Tony sort of embarrassed to be like on screen suddenly Mm -hmm. just sort of calmly asks over the headset if they could please get some security to the ring to get Liz out of there. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, okay, are we going to see what happens? Is Liz going to escape? We don't know that we don't ever see what's going on in the ring again. The last we saw Liz was cornered by the giant Nash and instead we just watch Tony, Dusty and Bobby talk for like three more minutes. Mm hmm. Yeah, this is the part where there was where um, Heenan was saying, look at what Sting did when he was in the ring. Yeah. You know, if we would have trusted him, we would have won this easily. Yeah. Yep. Tony again laments the lack of trust for Sting and Bobby and he talk a bit. And then Hogan shows up. The announcers bail. So Hogan grabs a mic, calls Dusty daydream believer. Yeah. <laughs> like, And he says it like it's a real vicious insult. Right. That he remembered that song from a long time ago. I just I don't get the <laughs> reference at all. Hogan then holds up a fan sign declaring that this is NWO country. The giant starts talking, but of course he doesn't have a mic, so Hogan has to like think on the fly and grab a headset and put it on the giant's head himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does the giant have to say that's so important? He's basically just ripping off Kevin Nash's this was paid for by the Ric Flair retirement fund joke. Yeah. That's all he's got. Mm-hmm. So he didn't need that mic in the first place. Right. Hogan kisses him on the cheek which just seemed out of place. <laughs> Nash says that that about wraps things up, and I would have agreed with that 10 minutes ago. Yep. <laughs> DiBiase says that they've made some demands, they won, and now they want those demands met. The NWO pose some more. We see an injured Savage limp from the back with Liz by his side, and that's it. Roll credits. So that was, yeah, the match ended, then we had another solid... 11 12 13 minutes of angle mm-hmm. uh macho man holy shit he does not look in a position to be the number one contender now yeah he did it, I, I know it's supposed to be like well he got beaten up by four guys yeah but he looked like a bitch 
You know, he really did. The whole the match with the giant didn't make him look very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, this made him look even worse. He does not at all seem like a credible threat yeah. to Hogan uh, at the next pay per view. This certainly is not making me enthusiastic for the main event of Halloween Havoc. I've that feels like such a foregone conclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, now maybe they'll spend the next four weeks or whatever really building up uh, Macho Man as a credible threat. I am skeptical yeah. that that's what's going to happen. But uh, it, it feels like every week we say, okay, that was a pretty decent little angle. But like next time, someone on WCW has to look strong. Yeah, and every time. WCW just look worse and worse. Right. So I'm very curious what, if anything, they're going to do uh, by the next pay-per-view to kind of fix the situation that they're mm-hmm. in with Team WCW. Uh, but that is going to bring us to the end of the show. Dave, what did you think of Fall Brawl 1996 as a whole? I thought as a whole it was a really good pay-per-view. I, I thought, I mean, there was a lot of uh, great variety of matches. Um I felt like the the I quit match stuck out as as a not good match. Sure. But there was a lot of quality I felt throughout this um show. And I think one of the reasons is that we're getting we got a lot of younger guys on the undercard. Yeah. You know, you said like there was four debuts. Yep. Uh pay-per-view debuts that is, and they're debuts of guys that, that are going to kind of like stick around and and boost up like the undercard for a long time. Right. And so we kind of got like the early benefit of that from this show. Um, I mean, I felt like, I mean, now, now the more we talk about it, the less enthusiastic I am about the main event, right? but it kind of, it went to its like obvious conclusion that the NWO was going to win. Sure. Um, it's, we we're just kicking off to like the second biggest angle in WCW history, which is sting. Right. And, uh, yeah. And it's like, it, hopefully they're going to be raising the question of like, who can stop the NWO as far as like what new faces are going to emerge right besides just trying to drag out like the horsemen again right you know that to me would be the 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 most interesting thing to come like next nitro the night or the next week because i agree i feel like that macho man is just an obstacle that that hogan's gonna step over but it's like who's gonna be after him right because he yeah like savage is a dead man walking for halloween havoc like I would not anticipate him. I wouldn't anticipate him looking very good in that match. You know, it's funny that you talk about the horsemen, um, you know, continuing to be the foil for the NWO because when this pay-per-view ended, uh, the WWE Network, instead of queuing up the next chronological pay-per-view, mm-hmm. it, con- it it starts being like, hey, if you, you know, the autoplay is going to play Fall Brawl 1997 next oh okay the main event of fall brawl 1997 NWO is war games between the nwo and the four horsemen yeah yeah <laughs> now that's a lot can happen in a year and maybe you know it'll feel different when we get there like but com- i saw come that back, come back full circle hopefully <sighs> i saw that and i was like oh boy yeah. i do not know about that <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see what happens there uh overall yeah i thought that this was um sort of the stereotype of a WCW show with a very strong undercard Mm -hmm. and then kind of a mess in the main event. Uh, Whereas I thought the angle again after the main event was fine, um, but the main event was underwhelming. The Savage Giant match was just fine. The tag team match was terrible. Yeah. But everything before that was pretty good with the exception of Norton and Ice Train. And at least that wasn't terrible and it moved pretty quick. 
Yeah. Um, so there was some really, really solid wrestling on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Every match got plenty of time, partly because they did not fuck around between the matches. No, they did not. It, it and and we, we got like maybe one or two backstage segments. So right. they utilized, like, they, yeah, they maximized the time they had for wrestling. And, and that's how pay-per-view should be, you know? Yeah. All the segments and angles and stuff like that should generally be used on TV and the, all the the payoff matches should be on pay-per-views. In our ratings roundup, this show uh, got a .65 buy rate, which, uh, just to give you an idea of context, that's over double the number of buys from last year's Fall Brawl. Oh, okay. Last year was, I think, 95000 This was around 230000 So a significant improvement there. Yeah. Uh, it's down around 20,000 buys from Bash of the Beach, which had the huge intrigue of who is the third man, so that's yeah. not crazy. Uh, and it's up 10,000 buys over Hog Wild. So there was more interest in this than there was in Hog Wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can see that there's an upward trajectory. There's some real success going on uh, for WCW right now. Yeah, and, and Hog Wild was on a Saturday, too. So I don't know if right. that like effect. And the fact that Fall Brawl was like, you said like only 2,000 less than, or only 20,000 less yeah. than Bash of the Beach, yep. I think is a, a big win because like Bash of the Beach had all the intrigue built in that you could possibly want. Whereas this was more like, are you guys still into this angle? And clearly fans are, I mean, the money's like flowing in when it comes to this, the NWO. And I think that's a big reason why they're always looking strong is because that's where the money is right now. And with that out of the way, that brings us to a little segment that we like to call observe this. Observe this brother. Now, as you know, we only go through the notes from the Observer, uh, really, on the main Nitro episodes. But here on pay-per-view episodes, what I like to do is we go through each match. I'm going to tell you how many stars that Dave Meltzer gave that match. And we are each going to say if we think that's fair or if we would go lower or higher. Okay. All right. So DDP versus Chavo Guerrero, uh, he gave it a 3.5. Um. Yeah, that's fair. I feel that. Yeah, I feel like that's right on the money for where I'd put that. Mm-hmm. Ice Train versus Scott Norton. He gave a one point two five. I that's fair. Yeah, I have a hard time. Even if I think it should be higher, or lower, like it's just I don't care. Like that feels appropriate. Fine. Yeah. Moving on. Right. <laughs> Conan versus Juventud Guerrera three point seven five. No, no, I would I would say that it was more like two and a half. Uh, I'd say more like. Th- three and a quarter three and a half i think he's only a, a smidge too high mm. he will see like i i think that should be brought down a little bit i think dave really likes juventud guerrera i think he tends to yeah. overrate guerrera matches um for whatever reason it, and well i mean i have the for the fortune of like the the foresight of knowing that guerrera is a lot better sure and provides a lot higher quality matches later on so yeah. this in comparison to his career is not a highlight Chris Benoit versus Chris Jericho, four stars. Yeah. Sounds I'm right fi- to me. I'm fine with that, yep. Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Super Clo, four stars. Yeah, I, I have a hard time arguing with that. Same here. This is maybe where I disagree with him the most. I think you're going to immediately recognize uh, where I fall. Mm-hmm. Harlem Heat versus the Nasty Boys, 
three and a half stars. What? <laughs> Isn't that insane? That is that's madness. What match was he watching? <laughs> <laughs> right. I would I would say it's more around like two. Yeah, one and a half for me. And I've got an internal nasties bias. Mm. And maybe they was swept a little bit by the crowd being in favor of the match, which yeah. I can understand. Well, I I just like I feel like it's it's a little bit better yeah. than the than the I quit match, but not a lot better. All right, the Giant versus Randy Macho Man Savage, one point five. I w- I would go like two and a half. I would say two and a half. I'd say like two. I think yeah. one and a half's a little low. And War Games, uh, I feel like uh, he's on the same page as me. He said one point seven five, uh, and I'm gonna say, man, that might be a bit low. Maybe I'd go two, but that's that's in the ballpark of where I come down. Yeah, I would I would probably go a little bit higher, but not not anything outrageous. So really. I feel like the big argument is the tag team title match. Yeah. Which, yeah, he was, I feel like he wasn't really paying attention and just gave it a number. (laughs) That could be. All right. So that brings us to a close on Fall Brawl with the exception of one last thing. And that is, of course, our match of the night and MVP. Uh, I'll start off and I'm going to start off with MVP this week. Why not? We'll switch it up a little bit. Uh, My MVP of the show is hard picking someone. Uh, because I felt like all the people that were good were good on the same level. It wasn't mm-hmm. anyone that stood out amazingly for me. Right. Uh, so when I just kind of looked at what everyone did, uh, I figured that in the Rey Mysterio Jr. Super Colo match, uh, that was a really, really good match. And if I think about the reason why that was a really good match, it probably is more Rey Mysterio Jr. than Super Colo. So for that mm-hmm. reason, my MVP is Rey Mysterio Jr. Um, well, I, I am going to do, uh, I'm going to do a split MVP and I'm going to give it to both Diamond Dallas Page and Chavo Guerrero Jr. All right. For having, uh, for exceeding my expectations for their opening match and considering, um, their positions in wrestling at this point, like Chavo being pretty new still and Diamond Dallas Page very recently not looking very competent in the ring. Yeah. I felt like they, they delivered a really good matchup. That really set just set a good pace. There's you can always something can always be said about like the opening match and how the pace that it sets for the rest of the show. Sure. And I felt like they did a really good job, especially like that sit out power bomb that Diamond Dallas Page did, and just and the way that they kind of pulled off the the ending. It's like you know, considering it's just an opening match, they I felt like they put just a little bit more thought into it, and and as a fan, I just appreciated that. So. I would give my, yeah, I'm going to do a split MVP for those two. All right. And then what is your match of the night? Uh, I mean, so that match exceeded expectations, but it wasn't the best match of the sure. night. Sure, yeah. Um, I would give mine to Rey Mysterio Jr. and Super Colo, which I felt was a l- I thought was a little surprising because, again, I don't remember, like, thinking highly of Super Colo. But um, I felt, yeah, like, he definitely, like, put his ass on the line to look impressive in, in that match. Right. And Mister- the ending itself alone made it for me. Like that was outstanding how he did not, not just like the, the, the tight rope walking for the Huracarana, but like the backflip into the second ring. Like it's easy to forget. He does that right beforehand. Too. Yeah. 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 So I got, I got to give it to that cruiserweight title match. 
All right. Well, I suppose I tip my hand here because if I said that I gave Mysterio my MVP for being the better part of my favorite match in the show, oh. well, then my match sure. of the night naturally is Super Clo versus Rey Mysterio <laughs> right. Jr. So we are simpatico on there. I'm not going to pick another one just so that we have something different. Right. That was the best match in the show. I don't. I would have a hard time if someone wanted to make a case for uh, Jericho Benoit. I think they could certainly make it, but. Just for me, I liked Kolo Mysterio yeah. just a little bit more. Yeah, and the thing is, like, I, especially um, um, for what we know with Benoit, like Benoit delivered what you expected him to deliver. Right. And I thought I felt like Jericho was good, but like he also had that notable mistake during that match too, which kind of sticks out in my mind. Yeah. He almost murdered himself. So. <laughs> All right. Well, we will be back with you very soon to discuss uh, the Monday Nitro that follows this uh we're gonna see how sting feels uh now that he's he's proven to everyone that he was wcw the whole time and mm -hmm. they were the ones that turned their backs on him we're gonna have to see uh what happens with the nwo or all their demands met are they gonna have their segment and their either tag team tournament or titles right whichever one and it's or be. titles and also like i mean since we did kind of spoil it there is uh a new member that's going to be joining tomorrow. yeah new nwo member appearing tomorrow that's mm -hmm. exciting so uh we got a <laughs> lot going on and we'll tell you all about it right here where the big boys play 20 years of nitro well love it, it. boola boola boola